Hello everybody and welcome to our now annual Christmas tradition that is the What's the Story Christmas special with Paul Howard and Gary Mackle. Gentlemen. Hello. Um, there he is. Merry Christmas everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, we were supposed to be doing this in person but uh, just it, it, it fell apart at the seams at the last minute. So Shockingly fell apart. We're, uh, How we got the shits. <laughs> How we let us down again. Well, um, I, I I think um, you know, teenagers get the shits. You know, mm. uh, adults get gastric flu. Yeah, right? <laughs> but I I've I've had I've had both, and they're 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 broadly similar, right? <laughs> and um, so yeah, we were supposed to do it in Avoca tonight, and I had I had dinner plans and everything for you, and uh, I, I I took to the bed on Saturday, and I swear to God, I I only ever felt. This on this unwell once in my life, right? And that was, I was at the Sydney Olympics, and because it was an Olympics, and because it was kind of that part of the world, right? Every flipping, every disease, flu, cold, virus uh, that was going in the world was brought to Sydney. For, it was an Olympic of ger- Olympics of germs, you know. And whatever I picked up, <laughs> I was I was sitting on a I was sitting on a at a uh, at a bus stop on a bench one day, right, in a place called Randwick. And Ryan Nugent walked by and he looked at me and he just said, do you want me to get you an ambulance? Right. That's how <laughs> sick I looked. Right. And I was anyway, he, he, I, I was green. Like he said, Paul, you're green. You know, you're you're literally green. And um, <laughs> I went back and I was four days in bed then. I was just so flipping sick like and this this i felt the same way again this time you know i didn't eat for four days i just felt absolutely manky so today's the first day i'm back up and back up and you know walking around and eating and all the rest you know i feel really weak but no brown rain coming out your hole no 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 the old um the old dihoria high hay has um has come to an end thankfully you know um (laughs) have you you but you know what's so on? funny? Do you know what I rediscovered, right? When I was having the when I was going through this, right? I went, I, I was in a vogue on my own, like Mary was in Dublin, because I didn't want to give it to her, like you know. She so fucked you. Isolating. Essentially, yeah, yeah. Well, you know the way, like we're all just mad into isolating now. As soon as you get anything, you better isolate. I better go to a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I sneezed. I better check in. I better check into juries. Anyway, uh, I was down there. And uh, as you mentioned, the brown rain, like, you know, and it wasn't the brown rain. I just, I was on my own one day and I've been on my own for about three days and I was really lonely and everything. And I farted and it was just a really, really long (laughs) fart, right? The 14 year old inside me just burst out laughing. I must have laughed for about 20 seconds. Now, a little bit, it was probably me going mad in the house on my own you know but you can still laugh at a fart for a good tw- for a good 20 seconds at at the age of almost 52 uh it's all right isn't it yeah, yeah all right. i don't quality. understand i don't understand people who don't like everybody has to fart so yeah. if, if, if you're not laughing at them yeah you know, you're, you're actually missing out because you're gonna fart anyway you might as well enjoy it like who what kind of a what what kind of a man right mm. Would go into a public toilet, uh, 
And then they're standing at the trough, right? And then they're, they, you know, unzipping all the way. And then they start peeing. And as soon as they start peeing, they let one off, right? Because often the two, often the two, the two kind of reactions go hand in hand, don't they? Like, you know, yeah, it's like a valve. It yeah, comes, a, a fart comes baked into the batter, right? And uh, <laughs> I just don't understand a man who can go at the urinal and then not comment on it, right? Not throw it a joke. Like, you know what, I'll name that tune in two or so, like some kind of <laughs> gag to go along with that. It's yeah. just, it's a, it's a setup. And if there's no punchline, I'm always so disappointed. I just look sideways at men at, at troughs all the time and go, what are you doing? Why are you wasting that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm hundred percent with you. It's, uh, I hope people are, are listening to this as they enjoy their Christmas dinner, by the way. It's a great opening. <laughs> But yeah. do, you rem- do you remember in school, if you're in the library, a Miss Delaney, if, you, if she caught you fair and she'd go mad. She'd ah, in the library and all. There was something about the, the chairs in school that they amplified. Yeah. Because the right. they had that curve at the back. Yeah. So yeah. the sound just done a big uh, ramp. Like, it was like going up a, like a skateboard going up a ramp. Just made it so much funnier, like. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Miss Delaney. Mad, do you remember the wooden Hail Mary she used to have on the on her desk you always used to hide it didn't you yeah when she went in to look for a book I'd move uh, the Mary (laughs) (laughs) like the elf on the shelf yeah yeah she stung me one day it was fucking murder but um, yeah when you're when you're pissing and and you need to fart and you're out of your eye and it has happened to me a few times if there is somebody there you just go oh (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, I, I I used to have this one where I go, if I did it, I just turn to the person beside me and go, must be something you ate. So you kind of push it, <laughs> push it off on them. <laughs> Paul, did you not get to bring Humphrey to Avoca with you for recovery? Yeah, Humphrey was with me. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. Humphrey came down and uh, he was great company, you know, but he didn't, he got very frustrated with the snow. He wanted to go out for walks and stuff like that, you know. But... Does he still want to go out for walks at this age? Not walks. He doesn't. He's he's twelve now, and he's only got little basset hound legs, so he uh, he can't do long walks anymore. So what he does is he he just potters. I I don't even put the lead on him anymore. He just he just walks around, sniffs sniffs lampposts just to check they all smell a piss, and then um, <laughs> he goes for a nosy basically. Yeah, that's exactly it. Just to see what's going on. Yeah, the dogs are mad, aren't they? They're fucking great. How could you not love dogs? Let's listen. Listen, um, can I ask a quick, quick question? Because it's killing me the last couple of days. Did the machine call Gary? Oh, here we go. Yeah, he called. I thought that was camera footage. I have a camera yeah. on the front door. But did he come? I, did he come back when you were there? No, he he just posted oh. me in another book. All oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. Have you bought the Watchtower yet? Week? Pardon? Have you bought? Have you invested in the Watchtower yet? No, no. I'm hoping he drops in a few bob for Christmas. Oh, lovely. But, um, for people who don't know, we should just clarify that the, the machine is, is a friend of yours who calls to the house every so often. To, yeah, he's, he, he's, he's a Jehovah's Witness. He's yeah. calling to me the last five years and he, he thinks my name is uh, Cecil. Why does he think this, Gary? <laughs> Pardon? Why does he think this, Gary? I told him my name was Cecil John Joe Restrictor. Um, <laughs> Cecil John Joe Restrictor. <laughs> and then Gary keeps calling him machine and he's never corrected Gary once. No, like, never, what? never. And, and and one letter he wrote me, he, his name is Eric. And he wrote his name at the end of the letter as if to say, this is my name. But I kept calling him machine. Um, <laughs> but it's mad. Everybody knows machine. Like, you know, all different groups are in and all. Everyone always asks. 
Howe's machine. But his wife lost her eyesight there just before COVID, and now it's back. That's the miracle of Jehovah. Yeah. Something in it. That's what happens when you invest in a watchtower. Mm. So the last time I was talking to him, I told him I'm moving back to Australia in mm. the new year. Um, and I told him I'm renting out the house. So he said, geez, be careful who you let in. Um, <laughs> it, it, he, he was dying to get a bit racial with it, but he didn't. But um, my favourite moment, just... moment ever, Gary, of you with him is when you said to him, uh, I used to live over in uh, Australia. And he said something like, oh, I have a sister-in-law or something in Australia. And he, he said, uh, uh, Victoria, is that in Australia? And you said, could be. <laughs> <laughs> he was testing me, I think. Why, why the old fox? But, um, now, there was, a, there was a, a few months ago, he kept calling and it was always when I was in work and Gemma was here. And she said, I'm telling you now, you better draw a line under him, Colin. Here, I'm fucking sick of it. <laughs> I just said, tell him I'm fucking dead or something. Get a few bob out of him. You better draw a line. <laughs> Gary, we, we, must, uh, we, we must also wish you uh, a very happy birthday as we're recording. Well, we're recording this just before you enter uh, a new decade. So, yeah, you know. so I'm 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 actually like David Brent was thirty nine in the office, and I'm thirty nine now, so I'm still yes. in my thirties, <clears throat> still in my thirties. But yeah, now I'm 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 forty now uh, tomorrow. Have you? Um, Happy you birthday! All, all Happy the wrinkles birthday. on my forehead, like Gordon Ramsay. Um, <laughs> but I yeah, forty going on sixteen, still a gobshite, still have messing. You, have you any great life lessons in your accumulated time on this planet, Gary? Yeah, do you know something I, I I did learn? You don't have to have an opinion on everything. That's true. Yeah. I like Gary Neville. That Yeah, that's a fair point. Gary American could probably learn from that as well. I know he's dead silent. Fair enough. What are you drinking, Howie? Is that wine? Yeah, just a uh, Ribena. Um, ah. Just very good for the... Uh, just very good for the stomach now coming back after this gastric thing. It's not the, uh, it's not the Diego Maradona wine, how he is it? No, no, that was I, I opened that and uh it it was uh it was fizzy. <laughs> I, bought, I bought I bought this um I bought this bottle of, of Diego Maradona wine. Mary and I were in Buenos Aires in night in 2005 right uh so it's a long time ago and I bought this bottle and it was going to be like a collector's item I said I'll open it like I'll open it when like Gary there I turned 40 and then I totally forgot to open on my 40th and I think it was about 48 or something I think it was the start of COVID or something I might have opened yeah it, it was it was the start of COVID you opened it yeah and um I, I cracked it open and Jesus it was um I knew it would. I knew it had gone like when it fizzed up over the top. Like it was absolutely vile. <laughs> like proper. Like it could have. Like I could have cleaned copper with it. it was absolutely. <laughs> um, I have a question for Paul Howard, please, because if I don't ask it, I'll forget and I'll fucking go mad. Or is yours, Gary? Go ahead. Go oh, ahead, Gary. The, the the term hard chaw. Yeah. Right, which is spelled hard H A R D and C H A W. I always thought it was hard shaw. S H A W, but yeah. it's not. Where did that term come from? I've absolutely no idea. I've oh. always just I've heard it for so long, 
I I just sort of take it for granted as a as a thing, you know, like somebody yeah, yeah. or some say somebody's as wide as a gate or something. I've always taken it as a Dublin expression. I've never I could probably Google it right now. And there's a dictionary of Hiberno English has great. It will just explains the origins of all these words. And there's a, there was a professor in UCD called Terry Dole, and he died about two years ago. He's an amazing man. And he he could tell you. He could tell you the etymology of every word, of every bit of slang in art. Like I thought something like, like we used to hear uh, when we were, from the time we were kids, we'd hear the word scanger all the time. You know, you call each other a scanger, right? And Terry was the one who told me scanger is actually a Jamaican word uh, for, for a, 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 an, un, an untrustworthy or dissolute person. They were called oh, a scanker, S-K-A-N-K-E-R. And Dublin Skanger came directly from the Caribbean Skanker. Wow. And then and then Scoby was Scoby came from uh, in in uh, medieval times. People who hung around the dump, uh, they would uh, they would kind of like dig with their hands, looking for food and stuff like that. And to dig with your hands was was called to scobe. It was the verb was to scobe with your hands. And they became scobes. And then in the kind of Dublin reimagination of the word scobies. So kind of they all have, a, I'm, I'm going to Google it while I'm talking to you because I'm kind of curious about it now as well. I love etymology. I think like the, where these things come from is very fascinating. You know, I know Definitely. a lot of Especially the Hiberno English stuff. A lot of the stuff, like just it's always rooted in Latin or whatever. But the Hiberno yeah. English and how that evolves is brilliant. Like, but Danny, yeah. we 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 spoke to years ago. Now we spoke to Frankie Gaffney. We did about Hiberno English, and he's very very knowledgeable about the origins of of certain words, and he kind of always tries to bring reintroduce them back mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Society. That's, That's the Ulysses cool. lad, is it? Frankie Gaffney. Yeah, he loves James Joyce. He yeah. loves Joyce, yeah. Yeah. The, the, well, one I, the one I always love is that bollocks has its origins in a name for a priest. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Was there a father bollocks in Lachlanstown before Father Hastings? <laughs> <laughs> is that true, Danny? Yeah. It is. Yeah. I'll, I'll find the thing and I'll send it to you after. But yeah, 100%. Uh, here it is, lads. Uh, All right. Hard Shaw. The chaw use chaw was the was the ancient word for chew. So hard chaw meant something that was hard hard to chew. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you describe someone as a hard chaw, you were basically saying they were difficult to digest, I suppose, or hard yeah, yeah. hard to chew, tough. There you go. See, Gary, what made you ask the question? Is it? It's in the book, is it? It's in the Roddy. It's in the Rodfather. And uh, when when I when I read it, I thought, fucking hell, you know, because you hear these terms all your life. Yeah. You don't really know how they're spelled and you don't really know their origin. Mm. So I thought, who better to ask than the author? Look, lads, there's, there's not many podcasts out there that in the opening 10 minutes of an episode will go from brown rain to farts at your urinals to etymology. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> Do you know who's a big fan of etymology? I didn't know until I met him, right? Barry McGuigan. It's his really? hobby. No way. Yeah, he's obsessed with it, like, you know? Like, if you say, if you use a, if you use a word... Uh, uh, in Barry Barry McGuigan's company, I said I said hubris to him once, and he went, "Oh, that's the uh, Greek word." And he's able to explain the art. It's amazing. He he has books and books of this stuff, you know. And he, I think, at the time, I, this was about sort of fifteen years ago. I met him the last time, and he said he, he used to try and learn t ten new words a day and their origins. That was an amazing thing, you know. That wow, he just that's brilliant. Sorry, go on, Paul. Go on. 
but he said that like he'd be when he was traveling the world, he said he was meeting a lot of kind of educated men and, you know, writers and, you know, men of letters who kind of want to hang out with him. And he said he felt really intellectual, intellectually superior, inferior being around them because he didn't he just didn't know that didn't have the vocabulary that they had. And uh, so he kind of made it his business to to start learning new words. And then as he started learning the words, he said, where's that come from? Why is that? Because he's got a very questing mind. So he'd want to know, but why is that word? What, like Gary there saying, why hard chaw? But what? why is it a hard chaw? Like, you know, and uh, I thought it was really interesting, you know. That yeah, is interesting. I, I, um, I have a book downstairs. I haven't started it yet because uh, there's been lots of other books that I, I wanted to read ahead of it, such as uh, Roddy, the Rothfather. Uh, but Susie Dent, you know, whore from uh, Countdown, yeah. 8 or 10 Cats or whatever. She's yeah, a book yeah. called Word Perfect. And that's, it's like a word or a phrase. There's 365 and one for every day of the year. It's a great book to leave in the jacks, I think. Right now, Paul, you probably would have cleared it in two sittings recently. <laughs> Especially <laughs> this week. <laughs> well, every, everyone, just it's 365. And yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that now because like that, I just love how little things evolve and they they can new meanings. So yeah. yeah. Barry McGuigan sounds like an interesting chap now after this. A lot more interesting than he was five minutes ago. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Barry, like, you know, Barry was a hero of mine growing up. Ah, lads, you mm. missed it, you know. You weren't there for Barry McGuigan. Like he was just what a legend, like, you know. He was very brave there recently in the BBC documentary about the Kinnings. Yeah. He didn't yeah, he talks about the Kinnons and he, he talks about his the way he talks about his daughter who died as well, you know, mm. publicly. He's he's just he's an extraordinary man. Like if you ever spent any time in his company, you you kind of get it straight away. Like he's a very special he's, kind of Would character. you say his life is in danger, Paul? I don't think so. No, no, I oh, I no. Jesus, no. no. I, I think I think you know, I think the Kinnons have got bigger problems on their mind than Barry McGuigan. Yeah. Slagging yeah. them off, you know. Um or criticizing them, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't think so at all. No, I mean, what, what does it, you know, what does it serve going after Barry McGuigan? They're out of boxing now, anyway, aren't they? Or you yeah. know, they, they certainly, they certainly are for the moment. And even if they're not, even if they're still hovering in the background, they've, they're, they're not able to make money from boxing, and they're not able to launder money through boxing. So that's a, that's a very good thing, you know. But yeah. the damage that they did to boxing is going to take a long, long time. Um, to to get back from that about boxing in Ireland, you know, but you know, with the the Regency shooting and all that kind of thing. I mean, a guy put used to put on shows told me in in Ireland, there's no boxing in Ireland really anymore since that, you know, mm. not really. And a fellow I know who used to put on shows told me it used to cost fifteen hundred euro to insure a show, and after the Regency shooting, it cost fifteen thousand euro to insure Jesus a show. Christ! So so can't it, get insurance. Yeah killed the sport completely completely killed it for everybody you know and that's why it's sad to see boxers i know they want to make a few bob but it was sad to see boxers then running to the kinnons running to running mm. to mtk and um it's um just a kind of sad reflection on on the way the sport is but i used to be mad into it but i've no interest in it anymore at all really what made you not have any interest um was that specific that turned you off yeah uh, a couple of the couple of deaths in the in the night, not deaths, the the two near death experience. Michael Watson in particular, mm. uh, and then Gerald McClellan, 
Um, the the Gerald McClellan Nigel Ben fight is just the most barbaric thing I ever seen in my life. I was always I covered boxing for years for the for the papers, and I was always able to kind of park my slight squeamishness I had about it just by saying, "Look, it's a sport. It's two men who want to be in there." And uh, but that fight in particular, where two men just looked like they were actively trying to kill each other in the ring, it was just. It was just so brutal, like, and for one of them to to leave the ring, you know, like blind and everything, like it was just, yeah. you know, severely brain damaged. Uh, and that was like whatever four years after the Michael Watson thing. I kind of had my fill of it by, but actually, to be honest, around the time I, I covered the Steve Collins and Nigel Ben or Steve Collins and Chris Eubank fight in '95, and I was writing Steve's book at that point. And I covered that fight. And that was a few weeks after the McClellan one. And I kind of lost my appetite for it then, you know. And after that, I didn't really enjoy it as much. You know, I, I still had to cover it, but I'd be around gyms and I'd be around fights. And I I just found it a bit distasteful. And then, to be honest, it got a bit boring as well for a few years. You know, there was yeah. fewer and fewer characters in it. Um, there was a bit of a lull for a while, wasn't there? There was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can watch all those old fights on. Um, I was here one Saturday afternoon a few weeks ago, and they showed um, all of the old fights between like Hagler, Hearns, Duran, and Leonard. And over the what was that? Over the period of about maybe ten years, they all fought each other. Some of them fought each other a couple of times, and those fights, every single one of those fights, except maybe, except maybe the last. Duran Leonard fight, which was a bit of a bore, but uh, all others, all other other fights in that series were classics, absolute toe to toe classics. Some went one round, some went fifteen rounds, but you know they were they were just brilliant. It was just a golden era for boxing, and I still love watching those. But just a lot of the current fights, you know, fighters don't get me excited. Kelly Harrington does. Mm. Like Kelly Harrington when she fought for. When when she fought for the uh, the Olympic medal, I was up at four in the morning, right, and uh, just with nerves, right. <laughs> I was pacing, I was walking around the apartment, and Mary said, well, "What are you doing?" I said, oh, "I'm just just nervous with the fight," you know. And she said, "You're not fighting. Just get back to bed. You're fucking Egypt. <laughs> You're a mad bastard." <laughs> I said, "I can't settle. I just can't get settled," you know. And it was here. I made about seven cups of tea, and and, uh, and then I settled down. And it was I, I, I watched the fight. She won. It was great and everything, you know. But anyway, I met her a few weeks ago at the. Irish Book Awards, right? Mm. And I was chatting to her, and I just said to her, oh, "You just want to. It's brilliant to be able to say this to someone, you know. I just, I just want to tell you, you gave me so much pleasure, you know that that sort of week, ten day period in my life, like you know, I just out of hospital after getting my gallbladder done out and everything I was dying sick and everything. <clears throat> and I said, you gave me so much flipping joy that summer. And I said, but I have to tell you, I was up at four in the morning, pacing the house. I was like a madman. She said, Jesus. I was fighting. I got up a half six. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, uh, it, it's like, would you, in terms of like watching it now, Paul, like any of the, and, and I'm, you know, uh, there's not many big fights in boxing, I'd say, but like you, you wouldn't do the whole, this big fight in Vegas. Would you bother three o'clock in the morning job or anything? Or, no, oh, no, no, no. I haven't done that. <clears throat> I haven't done that for years. You know, I, I did it for, Tyson Holyfield, is it? 
I did it for Tyson Holyfield. The, the, yeah, I did it for um, Lennox Lewis and uh, was it Lewis and Tyson, maybe. Um, I saw. I, I watched all those fights when the heavy heavyweight division was still quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I did it for oh, um, uh, Ricky Hatton when Ricky Hatton fought. Um, who did he fight? Floyd Mayweather, was it? And he fought Floyd Floyd Mayweather. That was the last. That, apart from Katie Taylor and Kelly Harrington, right? Yeah. The Floyd Mayweather Ricky Hatton fight was the last fight that actually got my adrenaline going. Like you mm. know, even though I knew the build, the build up was excellent. Oh, it was just brilliant. You know, it really was. And um, and but the but something like you know Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, Jesus, like that's just yeah, right yeah. Rather watch a documentary on Chernobyl and watch them two fucking pricks. Yeah. Um, yeah, which on that? The, did, um, you watch, did you watch I, that series, Gary? The Chernobyl series? I watched the first two, I think. Yeah, you you told the, me about it. The Sky one. Brilliant. I know yeah. it sounds weird to say something about Chernobyl is brilliant. But Mental. It fucking was brilliant. What yeah. were you going to say there, Gary? <clears throat> um, I, I enjoyed uh, Tyson Fury and Klitschko that time. I thought that was a good fight. I find Tyson Fury very unlikable. Ah, oh, yeah, he's a fucking Jesus clown. But just in terms of a spectacle, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it was. Because he's so unorthodox. Um, and Klitschko's yeah. uh, <clears throat> sort of tactician. Mm. Um, what way was it going to go? Obviously, Tyson got the better of him. Um, but no, I agree. It's just full of uh, it's full of chancers, isn't it? Full of spoofers. I, I think they're all too big, the heavyweights as well, you know? Like... To, mm. I love watching. I love watching Muhammad Ali. I love watching, uh, you know, Rocky Marciano. I love watching Jack Dempsey. I love watching Mike Tyson in his prime, Larry Holmes in his prime. Those guys were fourteen stone. Like those guys weren't that much heavier than me, you know. And um, and they were heavyweights. But these lads who are like twenty two stone, twenty one stone, six foot seven, six foot seven. They're just. Muscle, muscle man. Me and Gary are are gym bunnies ourselves. Like you know, so we we we'd spend a lot of time kind of pumping iron around these guys. You know, yeah. so we uh, we'd be just, in that kind of domain. Like well, we we'd be we'd be moving <laughs> in that space, that think space. But they they're just um, to me, they're just sort of pumped up bodybuilders rather than boxers. Like Ali in his prime, and or Tyson in his prime would have wiped the floor with all of them. Yeah, mm. you know. You look at Tyson in his prime, even when he came on the scene, Jesus Christ, different gravy. Yeah. Um, not none of them are, are, are anything like him. They like no. like Paul wouldn't lay a glove on him. Lethal. Hmm. Um Paul, the, the boxing kind of has a connection to the Rod Father, I suppose, because obviously the, the, the Collins family and one thing and the other and it comes up a bit in yeah. the book, but uh, in a clunky segue to the Rod Father. Firstly, congratulations to yourself and Roddy. Thank you. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. And not saying that to blow smoke, but it, it genuinely is one of the most enjoyable books I've read this year. Oh, Fucking laugh out loud, like proper laugh out loud moments in it. Um, Mero waited for the audio book because he can't read. But um, <laughs> how, how are you? I sent Mero all the good lines from it anyway. Yeah, I was getting messages every Friday after he got home from Ruddy's gaff with all the stories. <laughs> There's something for me to read. I found the funny, Paul, and don't take offense to this from the League of Ireland Twitter community. Yeah. They were saying it belongs in the fiction section. 
Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Like Roddy, I mean, Roddy has his take on how he end, how his relationship ended with all of the clubs, and it might not tally with everybody else's take. <laughs> I love that. It might not tally. <laughs> you know, like every every club that ever got rid of Roddy, they said publicly why they got rid of him. You know, and. Yeah. It's nice to hear from the other point of view as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of times where Roddy might have lost a job or whatever, but it's the same clutch of people come back from again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now he, yeah. he he does have uh, multiple lives with a lot of these people. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah. 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 You know, the thing, it's the thing it, it's a fascinating. Oh, like I'm not a League of Ireland fan. Obviously, I knew who Roddy Collins was. Um. The fucking book is outstanding. It'd be, it's easy for me to say here and say book's outstanding and Paul's on the Zoom here. But it's absolutely brilliant. Like the, the, the story about the uh, the wallpaper. So there's <laughs> like so there's a christening at the house and, and Caroline wants this Laura Ashley wallpaper, which is extortionate money per roll, by the way. And, and, uh, yeah. And 67% of the role is waste. Um, and uh, Mick hangs the paper, Paul, doesn't he? Yeah, Roddy's older brother, Mick. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he hangs it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it, it's like, the st- like you're in a chapter and it's leading you one way, but there'll be this little section of a story which happened in the middle. And you're yeah. pissing yourself laughing. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, got, I I tweeted how, how good the book was, and of course there's people. Oh, he's a spoofer. He's full of shit and all that. But that's that's irrelevant because yeah. what we're hearing is Roddy's story as he sees it, and he's the only Story's person. Who, yeah, he's the yeah. only person who can tell you his story. Yeah, and obviously as well, Gary. Like you know, he's a, he's a he's a teller of yarns, right? He's he's a classic after dinner speaker. Now you can go along and enjoy an after dinner speaker, or you can sit there with a notebook and fact check everything everything he said. Did that joke really happen? That, but that's not what it's about. Like you know, mm. it's, about, it's about telling the story of a life. You know, I, mm. you know. And thank you for your kind comments about the book, lads. I have to say, there's. I, I want to do a director's cut with all the bits that we had to leave out you know, because <laughs> there were just so many. There were just so many stories, and some of them we did. Some of them, Roddy said, "I'll oh, put that in," and I'd be saying, "I don't know, I don't know if that's for our audience, kind of thing, you know." But there's one funny story that it was in, and then it was out, and then it was in, and then it was out, and it went back in, and then finally it went back out, right? And it's to my eternal regret that I left this out, right? But the story is this, right? <clears throat> Roddy's was a libelous. <laughs> no, 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 you're grand. So, uh, Roddy, if I named, if I actually named. <laughs> I named the uh, firm involved, it probably would be. But anyway, so <clears throat> Roddy's named mother-in-law, she left, she she was in O'Devany Gardens and the the corporation were clearing out O'Devany Gardens because they wanted to knock it down and rebuild it. So they ha- she got a house. She got a lovely little house, uh, missed all her old friends. Sad, Sadly, they broke up a great little community there, you know, but but that's, you know, they just said, well, time marches on. And, and she's in this lovely little house. And uh, she decided she was going to get a carpet, brand new carpet. So she rang the the well-known carpet showroom and they came and they fitted, two lads came, they fitted the carpet and she was delighted. She made them a bowl of stew and gave them a pound each, the two lads, not the two young lads. And Roddy went to look at the carpet and he said, they, they fucking robbed you. 
<clears throat> so she said, what do you mean? She said, look at the white lines on it. She said, oh, you know, they said that they'd they'd eventually go, right? Now, what <laughs> happened was they gave her a, a second, a seconds carpet, a rejected carpet. It was one that it sh- you're supposed to roll carpet. This one had been folded. So it had gone white at the folds. Mm. Uh, it had kind of faded at the folds. So they laid it out. She, every every kind of two feet, there was a big white line down it, you know? So anyway, Roddy went down to the shop. He said, ah, leave this to me. <laughs> I go and have a word with them, you know? So Caroline drives him down to the shop and she pulls up outside and she said, no, Roddy, don't forget, we've got this uh, dinner we're going to tonight. Like, don't, you know, no, no trouble. Ah, don't worry, Caroline, I'll, I'll sort this out. Don't you worry. I have a little word with the fella, you know? So he goes in and the manager is on the phone and Roddy said, you're after selling my mother-in-law a duff carpet. And the manager says, uh, I'm on the phone. And Roddy said, but you're after taking all that money off my... I'm on the fucking phone. <laughs> Roddy <laughs> takes takes the phone off him. Roddy said, I took the phone off him, bipped him over the head with it. <laughs> that was that. So Caroline is outside and she said, I'm sitting there for half an hour and I'm thinking, where the hell is Roddy? And she's next thing I get a tap on the tap on the window, and there's a speed cop standing there, right? And uh he says, she winds down the window and she says, yeah. He said, are you uh, Roddy Collins' wife? I am, yeah. Uh, listen, you better uh, you better head, head to Store Street. That's where we're bringing your husband. So off they go. But Roddy, Roddy said, I'm not leaving the shop. I'm not leaving the shop until I get my money back, you know. So the guard said, well, you're going to have to leave with me. And Roddy said, well, you're going to need a bit of a team. So he called for reinforcements Jeez. and they took him out anyway, eventually. But Roddy said, while well, they're waiting for the reinforcements, going, Roddy spent 20 minutes shouting, don't buy your carpet here. They <laughs> my mother and a poor old lady living on her own. They really did rob her, you know. So anyway, they took him to Store Street and um the upshot was the guard kind of knew, you know, he kind of, I think he might've been from, I think he might've been from the inner city himself and he yeah. knew they robbed her, you know? So he was very sympathetic and just said to Roddy, look, what's your ideal outcome here? And he just said, my mother-in-law's money back. And he said, right, we'll get that for you. And that was it. You know, they, they, they gave him the money back. He left the guard station with the money in his hand. And he <laughs> said, the carpet shop came the next day to take, Wanting the carpet back, right? Even though we couldn't give it to someone else. So Roddy said, I just ripped it up with my hands and threw it out into the rain. <laughs> and it's a I few crackers like that, like, you know, brilliant, you know, but that's what Roddy. Was, what was it about? What was it about him that like Turlock O'Connor would always ring him for jobs or for, you know, Turlock wants to saw something. Yeah, because Turlock didn't, <clears throat> Turlock didn't suffer fools, you know? I mean, Turlock, Turlock bought him four times for different clubs and he put him in the Bowes job. Mm. And then later on, <clears throat> he put him in the Athlone Town job, you know. So Turlock clearly raided him. And I bet Turlock at the, the the night of the launch, which was like, that was a moment for me because Turlock O'Connor's been one of my heroes all my life. And I never met him, never met the man. Like, wow. you know, he's he's incredible man. And uh, he just thought, he just raided him. He just said, this is a leader of men. That's what it was. I think he just saw he's a trier. He's got charisma and he's a leader of men. And you don't get a lot of that in dressing rooms, you know? Yeah. The mad thing is when Roddy, when when somebody at um, Banger first said to Roddy, 
you know, the coach is gone. Will you take train at night? It hadn't occurred to Roddy that he was a leader of men. It hadn't occurred to him that he might be managerial material. And mm. Turlock said, of course, it, like you walk into a room, Roddy walks into a pub. It doesn't matter who's in the pub. Within five minutes, he's standing in the middle and everybody's standing around him, listening to him. Right. Mm. So that kind of charisma is is it's really, really rare, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Rare it's like that with with Pajo and his tour contract at Rovers under Michael O'Neill. Um, Michael O'Neill pretty much said to him, like, I won't be playing you that much. I'll be picking and choosing when I play you, but I need you for the dressing room, like you know I need you for morale and stuff like that so it's mad how like good managers who went like Roddy won a double with Bowes Michael O'Neill won two leagues in a row group stages of Europe like they build their dressing rooms with characters you know that way yeah absolutely and what stands out in the book as well is Roddy really puts a value on people that he trusts uh, particularly in football teams yeah Um, and and there's a story where uh, a fellow walks into the dressing room and Roddy says, looks at him and says, you're going to get me 20 goals this season. And her mom was like, all right, yeah, yeah. Turned out your mom was a goalkeeper. <laughs> 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 Roddy liked the look of him. Um, but it's, he, it, 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 it was a real throwback to me, for me to the Celtic, uh, Celtic Tiger because, yeah. He was uh, arriving on building sites in his Louis Copeland gear, price and jobs, and <laughs> you, you know, thirty lads working for you. And like I, I remember, I remember painters who, you know, they were just normal lads, and in the flick of a finger, they'd fifty lads working for them, <laughs> and if investment properties in Spain and they houses in Bulgaria, and it was a throwback, and and you. you it was just a it was just a brilliant brilliant book but i i actually felt there's another book in there yeah i, I this is okay there's a book on the writing of the book right which <laughs> <laughs> to which i'm still there's a great story me and roddy went over to england right a few months ago this is a, this is almost when the book is finished i'm sorry if i've told you this before but your your listeners won't have heard it we roddy's roddy was offered a job with a club called chesham united and Chesham is where Roddy Jr. plays. That's where he's their, their midfield field general. They're about two, couple of, maybe three leagues below conference level. They're way down. Not way down, but they're a decent club. But this rich guy has bought the club and he's building them a new stadium, 5,000-seater on the other side of town. bit kind of like De- Tolka Park or something like that, a small Tolka Park. And, um, and, and anyway, his plan is in... in Five years, they're going to be in the conference and in 10 years, they're going to be in the football league. So it's kind of a nice dream. It's not like it's not looking for too much too soon. It's a kind of slow thing. But he wants Roddy to um, he wanted Roddy to manage the team, but he also wanted him to build the stadium. Right. And I just thought this is brilliant. This is such a great story. Right. You want him to get a contractor to build the stadium. And and anyway, so I said, um, I said, Roddy, this would be brilliant. Like, this is a great ending for the book. He said, but I, I, it's not going to happen. I said, but even if it doesn't happen, it's a great ending for the book that you've been offered this. So he said, why don't we go? I said, why don't we go over and meet them? So he said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So we booked two uh, Ryanair flights to Luton. This is back in May. Two Ryanair flights to Luton. And uh, we arrive and we're standing 
at Luton Airport. We're waiting for this limo to come and pick us up, right? Your man, the owner of the club, sending this limo. And suddenly I'm aware of this commotion behind me shouting. Rah, 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 rah. Turn around. And there's this uh, Russian fella. I, I could be I could be maligning the Russian people here. He, he was certainly Eastern European, but because of the invasion of Ukraine, we'll say he was he was Russian, right? It's perfectly okay to say. Anyway, this fella, right? He had he was wearing a vest. I didn't I'm not inventing this. He had a white vest on, right? That's all he was wearing, a white vest. He had muscles like fucking grapefruits, like big guy, you know? And uh he was in a rage. He was absolutely spitting nails at his wife, right? And He's vain and his forehead throbbing. His eyes were out in stalks. His flipping neck muscles were strained. He was going to hit this woman, like, you know. And his his mother was pulling him back, oh, 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 shouting at him. And the, the wife, the wife wasn't remotely scared of him, right? She's just looking at him. She's looking him up and down, saying stuff. She's probably questioning his manhood and all sorts of stuff you know it's just, whatever she's saying to him it's making him angry and angry and angry but what Roddy couldn't get over was a little kid hiding behind his mother's legs like that really upset Roddy little five-year-old kid you know so the next thing I just hear Roddy out the corner of his mouth says to me look lively here Paul I said what he said look lively here he said what do you mean look lively he says I think we're gonna have to take this lad down <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> the thing is, right, such a macho man, right? He's flipping serious, like he's serious. He's he said, we're going to take this lad down. I said, Roddy, I I don't know what you see when you look at me, right? But I am not a fighting man, you know. <laughs> Gary, in fairness, I'd only been in the gym in our club about three months at that stage. I wasn't the trees I am now. You hadn't started on the rides. <laughs> so so i said uh roddy i said if you want me to if you want me to satirize him i could i could write a piece about him for saturday so I just like i'd absolutely rip him apart like in the times he said no no we we'll take him down i said roddy like he said don't worry about it i've taught it through he says <laughs> you you kick out his knee and i'll take him down with a punch <laughs> What the fuck? Pick out his knee. He taught it through. He knew. He saw it. He actually saw how it was going to happen in real time. Like you know. So what happened? Well, luckily his mother dragged him off. This fella off, you know. And of course, I got really brave. Then I was shouting at your man. Yeah, lucky she pulled you away. <laughs> you were about, about to get the old Howard Collins one too. <laughs> and um, the limo pick is up. Oh, dear, yeah. I said to you, man, drive, drive, drive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then what happened when you met the owners of the club and all? I mean, they were lovely. You know, we but they were really, really nice, you know. And uh, they took us out to the ground and they showed us the ground and they showed us the site where the new stadium is going to go, you know. And I think and Roddy... What, is Roddy not interested? He is. He is interested, yeah. But he's waiting for the right offer. You see, Roddy thought his managerial career was over. And partly with the book... And all the kind of focus he's getting again, and just the process of remembering uh, how good he was at the start. Like I know, Mero, you as a Rovers fan would have certain views about how he was later on, but but at the start, like if you think his first jo- first managerial job at Bangor got them, helped them avoid relegation. You know, uh, went to Bowes. helped them avoid relegation first season. Second season, they won a cup or got to a cup final. 
uh, and finished second, I think, second or third. Second, yeah, it was second, I think, yeah. And then third season, won the double, you know, yeah. went to Carlisle United, took them from the bottom of the table to 16th. They would have been top half if Michael Knighton hadn't sacked him with three games to go after having a row with him, you know. Uh, so that that's a that's a pretty upward trajectory you know that he was on there you know and I think remembering all that stuff it's kind of got a it's kind of starting to believe again he's looking at Claudio Ranieri still managing at 72 and you know and and he said yeah I'm gonna go back so he he wants to go to China that's that's where he really wants to go like you know Paul am I right in saying he was he was actually just before COVID he was asked to go to China yeah so they have yeah. this they have this program where they bring uh, Western coaches over to China and they bring them to university. They assess them. You, you learn Mandarin, uh, and while you're learning Mandarin for a year, they assess your level, and then they at the end of the year they say second Chinese second division, uh, Chinese League of Ireland, you know Chinese Leinster Senior League, whatever the level is, their version is, uh, you get sent oh. there. And and he was he was mad over it, and of course Caroline. He says to Caroline, listen, you know, how would you fancy moving to China? Absolutely, she says. You know, <laughs> best wife in the world. She's a saint, that woman, by the sounds of it. Yeah. Ah, come here. Saint's not the word. But sure, <laughs> he'd he turn up and say, we're, we're heading such and such in the morning. And off they'd go. Like, yeah. Jesus, you wouldn't get that now. But um, like, he, he, in terms of being hired again for a manager, I don't think I can't see that happening. Like he's terrible. Fuck off, Mero, for God's he, sake! He did terrible. Mero, you need to get out of the League of Ireland, right? Because no, but why would he get a job in the league in Air League now? Why well, would he? Why well, he wouldn't? He wouldn't get a job in Air League now. No, but he, he, he wouldn't want to. He wouldn't want a job in your league now. It's too small for him. Like you know, where's it? Where else is he going to get a job? Well, he was interviewed a few weeks ago for a uh, League Two manager's job and got down to the last two. No and way. Was offered the assistant manager's job to as, as a number two to the man they gave the job to, and he said no. Uh, he said he, he didn't want to be an assistant manager, he wanted to manage in his own right. But so they clearly raise him. I think I think he could go somewhere, could easily go somewhere abroad, like you know, where he doesn't have the baggage of being Roddy Collins, you know. Yeah. Like if you if you took Roddy to China and you know, you put him with a team who needed motivation, needed a smile put on their face, needed to feel confident about themselves, send him into the dressing room. Either like Roddy, speaking Mandarin, Roddy speaking Mandarin would probably be enough to he, give them all a smile, you know? Yeah, no, I only say that because he hasn't been employed in six or seven years now and has time not pa- passed him by. Like, oh, no, it's long. It's probably longer than that, I'd say, you know? I mean, 24th Cork, he had a couple of months of Cork, a couple of months of Derry. He didn't manage Cork for a single match. They were they were in financial trouble and they... the. He was appointed pre-season and then he was sacked before they'd even played a match. Before so he started, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so he did. I don't think Roddy has completed a full season um, as a manager since... Since... Since Bowles. No, no, he took... No, no, no. Sure, he took... In the Premier... In the Premier in the League of Ireland, it's but since Bowles. No, he was... What about the First Division? He took Atlone oh, Town. Yeah. That, yeah, I forgot about, I forgot about the First Division. Man United up. Yeah. Um, Mero, you're getting very spiky here. I think you just need to relax for a few minutes. <laughs> I love the story when he was a player and uh, they were wondering why he was scoring so many goals. But sure, he was ringing them in. <laughs> <laughs> there was a phone in um, there was a phone in Dalyman Park and uh, uh, 
it rang one day and Roddy picked it up and he said, yes, the evening press. He said, yeah. He said, uh, what was the score of the match? Roddy said 3-0. He said, uh, who got the goals? And Roddy realised this was for the paper and he went, Collins hat-trick. <laughs> <laughs> it was the League of... It was actually Bo's, Bohemian's reserves. It wasn't... They wouldn't send a report. They sent a report to the Bo's match, but not to the reserves match. And uh, so he said he, every week then, he knew when the call was going to come, he'd be waiting by the phone. Who got the goals? 2-0, Collins, both goals. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he said on the building sites, they were saying, Jesus, you're banging them in for the reserves. Won't be long now. Before <laughs> he said he got 47 goals in 12 matches. <laughs> there's a part as well he's um he's busy with a plastering and it's kind of hard to get lads and he's he's driving by this bus stop and there's a lad with his bucket oh, and his trowel he's obviously yeah. a plaster and uh, roddy basically uh, spoofs this lad into the car this lad thinks roddy's here to collect him to bring him to a job but roddy's bringing him to one of his jobs but <laughs> Roddy says he's a Michelangelo of plastering, like a mirror. And he's with Roddy, I think, for a couple of weeks. And your man says, Any word from Tony? Like, how is he? I haven't seen him. And Roddy says, To be honest with you, I don't know who the fuck Tony is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just like, it's nice when you're reading a book if you yeah. laugh out loud. Yeah. At a line yeah. or a story, yeah. and there's loads of it. And I, I honestly, like Danny said earlier, not blown smoke. I absolutely I loved it. I was yeah. devastated when I finished. Yeah, um, I'm but, lucky because I, I'm still like, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting Roddy for a pint tomorrow night. You know, we said we'd, we'd sort of close out the whole book experience with a, a pint in Brussels tomorrow night. And uh, but I'm kind of still enjoying the Roddy Collins show in my life. Cause I'm still, on, I'm still on WhatsApp with him. Like, you know, yeah. I rang him the other day. He did the audio book, right. And the audio book was an ordeal for Roddy because Roddy can, Roddy can sit and talk to you lads and you wouldn't get a word in for six hours. Right. But sitting down in front of a script and it suddenly feels really stilted or something like rehearsed or something like that. So he wasn't enjoying the experience of doing the audio book. And the fellow who does the audiobooks is a fellow called Paul Fegan. And he's out in Kulak and he does them from the back of a house in Kulak. He's got a little recording studio set up in a shed in the back garden. And him and Paul, you know, it was an ordeal for both of them, right? But Paul would just keep <laughs> saying to him, Roddy, go for a walk around the block, go down to the Northside Shopping Centre, get a slice of pizza and Sparrow, and then come back, you know? And uh, so they did it. But it took Roddy. About seven days to the whole book, which actually I think is pretty good. I was surprised. I, I thought it was going to take him about three weeks or something, but <laughs> did the whole thing in seven days. And R- Roddy would be in tears. Roddy would be ringing me and I, I can't do it. I'm not going back. I'm not fucking going back. This is like school again. I'm not fucking going back. That's it. Then he'd ring me and I'm like, right, I've calmed down. I'll go back tomorrow. I'll give another hour. And uh, anyway, I rang Roddy last week and I said, uh, so Paul, him and Paul had just gone through this ordeal together. It was like, I'm I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Like they were bonded by this, you know. And I rang Roddy last week and I said, how's it going, Roddy? He said, I'm grand. He said, I said, where are you? He says, I'm in Paul Fegan's house. Right. I said, what are you doing in his house? He says, I'm plastering his kitchen as a favor. <laughs> <laughs> That's just Roddy. That's just Roddy. All He meets you once. Right. And you're his friend for life. Like he'll plaster your kid. He'll do he'll do anything for you. Just absolutely anything. Oh, he's still plastering, is he? Well, I mean, he doesn't do it for a living, but if he 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 has the the hawk and the trowel there, you know. If you say to him, Jesus, Roddy, that wall doesn't look straight, he go, 
back in a second, go out to the car and get his tools, you know. I remember um I remember I was working in finance uh, during the Celtic Tiger. Um and I was doing <laughs> I was looking for my, my my Monday to Friday was motor finance, but the odd Saturday I would help out with the credit control department. And you do overtime, and you'd be ringing, you'd be ringing up people about, uh, you know, missed missed payments or whatever. And fucking young for the guy up here, go on. Yeah, you oh, wouldn't yeah. get, you wouldn't get the accounts. Us all off, fucking Veracca there. Look, you wouldn't get a, you wouldn't. The calls would just jump into your screen. You wouldn't be manually ringing them. You yeah. know, it was. So I got a, I got. You hear the ringtone, and then when the person answers, then the account comes up and you say, how's it going? It's Graham from Friends First Finance just ringing you up to let you know you have a late payment there. So one day I, I got Rod Squad plastering. <laughs> it came up account holder, Roderick Collins. I didn't know, I didn't know what the fucking do. This is like, this is, I'm going to say 2004, 2005. He was at Carlisle, he was, and he fucking tore through me. He was like, I'm oh, okay. Oh uh, yeah, he went to tar room. He was like, I'm in bleeding Carlisle. I'm over here every weekend. You get your bleeding money. I've two vans out for you. You'll get your money. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, okay, no worries. I just put a note. Uh cl- client works for Carlisle United at weekends and will send over money when he gets paid. Would you not have put a note? Client is an Irish football and sporting legend. No, because Rovers have got relegated. I'm only joking. <laughs> he kept Rovers up. That's the other thing, Mero. And I think uh, a lot of uh, Rovers fans know this. Uh, that that if they hadn't if they hadn't sacked Roddy Collins, that's that autumn, Rovers would have stayed up because he'd have kept them up in the. Pr- There's no way they'd have lost to Dublin City in a two-legger playoff with Roddy Collins as the manager. Yeah. Well, I think Rovers wanted to get relegated at that stage, didn't they? Why did they want to get relegated? So they get everyone off the payroll. They'd ha- they could, you know, bring the wages down, all that kind of thing. Sometimes you have to cut everything away, cut away everything and start again. I thought that was the case with Rovers at the time. Uh, I don't think so. Paul, how did he sign Carlton Palmer? Well, very defensive, aren't you, Rovers? He, he, he is, he isn't he? And he's, given, he's, he's quite yeah, barbed about yeah, everything he's saying about Roddy as well. This is like... It's like talking to you about Mary Lou. Like it's just it's the whole energy <laughs> changes. Like you know, how did he find Carlton Palmer and Efenikoku, Paul? Um, he Roddy had great contacts in kind of non among non league managers. Like he had a cousin. He had a cousin who was um who was an agent over there, and then he had he knew a guy called John Still, and John Still had coached at like coached loads of clubs at underage level over there as well. And uh, not underage level, at kind of non-league level. And both of them used to get him players occasionally. And I think Stilly, as he calls him, said, do you want do you want Carlton Palmer? And Roddy said, Carlton Palmer, is he still playing? He said, yeah, he is. He's not, you know, he's not great at the moment, but, you know, we'll do a job for you. And I think he said he'd do it for 200 quid a week, plus his hotel room and flights in Dublin, you know? So I think, I think, uh, I think he was best mates with Efren Okuku and, and he persuaded him to sign. So that's how the two of them ended up playing for Dublin City. But I think when people saw Roddy sign these, well, you know, in England, they were has-beens, but in the League of Ireland, they were marquee names, you know, and everybody went, he must be paying them like 10 grand a week. They were getting 200 quid a week, according to Roddy. <laughs> yeah. And he had sponsors for them. Like he had some, he, spo- he got their flight sponsored. So they weren't paying to fly them over and they weren't paying, he 
you know, we had a deal with the hotel that they put them up in the hotel. So it was costing the club just their wages. Uh, but I think that was a kind of dysfunctional setup, though, wasn't it, at Dublin City? I don't think they were, you know, they, like I think Dublin didn't need a fifth football club. Like, no, that absolutely was, not. Um, the, the book is The Rod Father, Roddy Collins with Paul Howard. It's available in all good bookshops and some rubbish ones as well, lads. Uh, and if you're looking for a last minute Christmas present or even just treat yourself, couldn't recommend it highly enough. Thanks, it's, it's on Audible as well, and Roddy has done the oak. Uh, so if you're into audiobooks, give it a, actually, lads, to, to kind of shift it along a bit. Do you, do you, and you do the audiobook thing. Do you bother? Yeah, I, I do. I've got Sinead O'Connor's one. I've, I've only started. I when I got a present of a, an, an Audible voucher, and I'd used Audible for for podcasts before and whatever. And uh, I started them, and I've got about three or four of them on the go, and it's fucking great. I'm loving it. It's it's, it's always it. great when the actual author is reading it out as well. Yeah, well, yep. this is right. So, so and I know, look, Bono's a pox and all that kind of thing, right? But honestly, the audiobook is fucking brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. It's not just like him reading the story. It's almost like a one-man show, but like it's got production value. It's got, you know, there's there's music, there's sound effect, there's the whole thing. It's fucking brilliant. I must give it a go because I think you get your first book free, don't you? You get 30 yeah. days, I think. You get a 30-day free trial and in that you can oh. use, a, like it's done by credits on, on Audible. There's yeah. other audiobook things as well. Well, do you, do you do audiobooks for all your Ross books? I yeah, but I don't record them. I don't. I don't uh, read them. Uh, Rory Nolan, who played Ross, Rory reads them. He reads them, and he, like so, he's done the last four. But then he's also gone through the back catalogue now as well. He during COVID, I think he did six of them. So I think I think there's ten of them out there now. Wow. Um, I loved them. I I I was slow to it because I I never got into the Kindle. I do love yeah. a book. Like I love I love the feel of a book in my hands and everything. I love to be able to feel how much progress I'm making through a book as well and how much yeah, I'm yeah. think. But I got into them because I I I commute, I've a commute every morning of about 45, 50 minutes, and I've a commute home in the car. And sometimes I don't want to be listening to the radio and I don't want to be listening to music. And I think just stick something on that you can kind of lose yourself in a bit. And yeah, it just depends. I've had some I've had some pretty lousy um ebooks but some great ones as well i'm listening to one at the moment called fantasy land um and it's about it's just about the history of what your man calls magical thinking in america like and your man your man's basically saying kurt anderson is the author and he's saying that you know america didn't suddenly arrive at a point where it elected trump america has been mad for 500 years for all of his existence america has believed in make-believe conspiracy theories so he goes all the way back in history to, you know, to the, to the first people who landed in America and how mad they were. He goes back to, you know, the founding fathers, how they were just bonkers people, uh, the Salem witch trials, uh, Bircherism, the, the um, you know, the, the what are they called? The, the Mormons, all all of these religions and conspiracy theorists and everything. And just basically says they've all sort of concentrated into one now and become the Republican Party. But it's a brilliant book. But the thing that strikes me is if I was reading that, I'd find it quite heavy. I just find yeah. it really oh, and after three or four pages, I'd be going, geez, this is heavy. But I know read listening to it, an hour of it in the car every morning and an hour in the evening, it's just a nice size. The guy who's reading it just reads it really well as well. 
Um, you can get great ones. There's a brilliant book, um, won the Booker Prize a few years ago, Milkman. Um, and it's about um, growing up in Belfast in the Troubles. And it, anyway, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the actress who reads it. The author doesn't read it. Anna Burns is the author. Mm. And I can't remember the actress's name, but just her voice is amazing. I tried to read the book, but it's written in kind of Belfast phonetics. And it's 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 a little bit of a, a kind of mad, paranoid voice as well. And after about four pages, I was going, oh, this is I, I'm not get, I couldn't get into it. But as soon as I heard the actress read it, I went, ah, that's it. And I, yeah. I, I zipped through that one. It's about 20 hours long and it's just gripping. Yeah. Oh, how many books did you go through a week, Paul? Um, probably two, two a week, I'd say. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks. Fucking hell. I'm not a big reader at all now. The last yeah. book I read is the one you bought me, Paul, uh, about Ali and... and, and oh, yeah, and yeah. Malcolm. That's a great book, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. That was the last book. No, sorry, you sent me a... Uh, you sent me a good book uh, when my grandfather passed. Remember the bereavement book? Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The book about the book about the wake. Yeah, that was very good. Willis's book about the Irish wake. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was good as well. But I, other than that, I haven't read since. No, uh, I, I, I love a good book. Yeah, now like the struggle for me is finding the time to, and that's where the audio books are fucking brilliant. Because, like you yeah. said, they're in the car, or whatever. The Billy Connolly autobiography, windswept and interesting. Right, I bought the book. <laughs> And uh, like I start reading it, but in my head I'm re- I'm reading it in Billy Connolly's voice because I can't help but but there's some bits with that are actually really heavy, and I kind of yeah. found it a bit like oh Jesus. So I get the audio book a shot, and yeah. because it's it's Billy himself, even though his heavy bits yeah. are, are 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 you know the, the way he tells them, he tells them yeah. in a very Billy Connolly way, and it's much more enjoyable, you know. Yeah. Have you read the uh, Have you read or listened to the um, Alan Partridge autobiography? No, 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 I haven't. Oh, listen, get the audio book, right? It's called it's called um I Partridge, right? And then there's a second one, uh, which is he he walks from <laughs> he does this walk from um you know those books about walks, like all these people do these the, the English celebrities do these walks along the Pennines yeah. or Hadrian's Wall or something. He walks from his old house to this nuclear power station where his father applied for a job, right? <laughs> <laughs> he walks he walks along the motorway <laughs> all the way right but it is the two books right <laughs> the funny he uh, steve coogan reads them right i swear to, i'm not lying to you right we we listened to the, the autobiography on the way to belfast and i had to with mary and me in the car and i had to keep pulling in mary kept saying paul pull in pull in because i was laughing so much i thought i was going to go off the road right I just be, <laughs> she'd have to pause that and i'd just be roaring and laughing right and then we go off again and then he'd say something else and i said i think i'm gone i think i'm gone mary pull in. <laughs> and uh and then the walks one there's a chapter in the walks book right and it's just called edmunds Right. And it's all just all about his hatred for Noel Edmonds. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of the funniest pieces of writing I've ever read. It's just <laughs> it just keeps referring to him as Edmonds. You know, people often ask me why I hate Edmonds. Oh, that's how it starts. <laughs> like, and he just launches into 30 years of bile about Noel Edmonds. It's just <laughs> Uh, but those those two books, the two Partridge ones, they're they are. I mean, I've listened to both of them. I'd say ten times. They're oh. that good. Yeah, yeah. Gary, I'd put them up there with the Office. They're that funny. 
Oh, listen, I'm, I'm flat out on the office since all year, really. I, I must have gone through season one and season two and, and the two specials. Honestly, Gemma's killing me about 30 times. I just can't get enough of it. And I'm watching it in work and everything. Like, I just flat out on, on Brent. But I'm actually I, I'm intrigued by Garrett Keenan at the minute because he's just... Yeah, like that guy nails it. I can't think of his name, but um, Mackenzie Cook, isn't it? McKenzie yes, Cook, that's Cook. right. Yeah, and you keep you you miss things in the office. Like I've probably watched each episode fifty times, but you you'll come across a little line and it'll just get you in the stomach and you're just pissing yourself. But it it's there, there's a there's a podcast called Wearing and Blog, and the lads break down the office for what uh-huh. they for what they believe it to be. And then that that's after giving it another edge for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have like to I, listen to that. What's it called? Wearing and blog. Wearing and blog, yeah. Right. Like like I didn't uh conceive in my head that Brent in season one was possibly going through a breakdown. Yeah. And the lads give reasons as to why he possibly is going through a breakdown and how his relationship with Don actually gets worse and worse each episode. Which yeah. isn't something you'd notice until somebody yeah. actually says it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I'll give that eye, eye partridge a go on, on the Audible. Do you know what I love about The Office, Gary? Exactly what you said there. Just the little lines that you're laughing at the big jokes at the time, right? The big headline punchlines, mm. gags, the, the dance and all that kind of thing, right? And then with every watch, you just start to marvel at the, at each, every line in that is funny, but you might not realize it's funny yet, right? There's a brilliant line. One of my favorite lines in the whole thing, right, is he's showing the new girl around the office and he says to her, have you used email before? Yeah, it's easy, isn't it? Right? It's just... <laughs> but you know, but you know the funny thing is about that line, Gary, right? Like that, that was written in 2001, when email was about a year old, like, well, maybe two, like, I think I got my first email account in maybe 1999, around that time. So yeah. it was quite a re, that would that would have been a sort of all right gag. You know what I mean? That it's two mm. years old. Of course, she knows how to use it. But like watching it now, 25 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, what a line. Like, you know? And of course, in that scene, it's when everybody sends a picture around a Brent um with a pair of tits and all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he's trying to get to the bottom of who sent it. And everyone puts their hand up. And even Joan, the cleaner, puts her hand up. And he says, Joan, you don't even have email. And she said, somebody printed it out for me. <laughs> he says, who printed that out for Joan? And everyone puts their hand up. It's just brilliant. The training oh, day. Good. I think the training day might be the greatest uh, the greatest episode of comedy I've ever seen. I think it's better than any Faulty Towers, any, you know, Fools and Horses, any any great comedy. I think that that particular episode, go and get the guitar, go and get the guitar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's so good. I I, I love the charity one when it's uh, oh, Red yeah. Nose Day because yeah, yeah. the first scene is Brent and he's completely hyped up for the day. Giggling his arse off. Finchy comes in, kisses for a pound off Don. But the day gets worse yeah. and worse. He, Neil uh, comp- and Rachel completely nail their dance. The whole office are up clapping them. And he breaks into his dance, obviously, which is now one of the most famous scenes. But the day gets worse and worse for him because he's told at the end of that day, 
he's going to be made redundant. Yeah. And he's in the ostrich outfit because he's to meet the, the Slough Gazette. So from the first scene to the last scene, the man's world just flips. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's so fucking good. All his TV shows are great, though. Like, Extras is brilliant. Yeah, Extras, yeah, extras was very good, yeah. yeah. Der- Derek was fabulous. Derek was sensational. Yes. Uh, Afterlife. Afterlife. I loved Afterlife. Yeah, yeah so yeah. good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Mero, you don't like a stand-up. You were saying the other day, I, I like a stand-up. Um, particularly in the world that we live in now, um, with pronouns and he, him, and all that shit. Um, and all that is, shit, Gary. No, but like, I mean, in terms of for, for him to turn around and say, you know, real women with actual wombs, like, for, <laughs> like he he's one of the only people that, I, I don't mean that to sound spiteful or antagonizing, but he is still saying it how he is, and he's one of the few people who probably can say, say it how it is. Wait, that's just um, being shockful. That's not really being comedy, though, is it? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that it's not being comedy. I, I think, I think he's eliciting laughter. He's eliciting laughter from an audience. Um, it's not, it's not standing up telling one-liners, you know. But, but neither was Lenny Bruce. You know, lots of people said Lenny Bruce wasn't comedy because it was just kind of mostly angry commentary that people often found amusing. But, but still comedy like it's not michael mcintyre you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't belong in that space of uh those sort of comedy roadshow things uh but you know i've seen him i've seen him do stand-up a few times live i've seen the, the shows i love those first couple of ones he did animals and fame Humanity, they were absolutely brilliant where they were kind of set up like a lecture he had a lectern there and he would he would actually yeah. kind of stick to a team and i really enjoyed those i have to say i did i did like I thought the last Netflix special was just okay. I thought the one before that was absolutely brilliant. I loved, I loved that one. Um, but uh, I saw him, I saw him live a, a few times actually, and it it didn't it didn't work for me. Uh, I saw him do stand up live because it was in the Three Arena, and this is a thing that kills me about about stand ups. I I saw the Par- Alan Partridge show in the Three Arena this year. Yeah. You weren't impressed at that, weren't you? Not. No, I wasn't. And I saw Peter Kay in the three arena and I thought I thought he died on his arse. For me, he died. And it's because comedy isn't meant to be heard by a, a, a vast audience of, you know, 19,000 people or whatever it is, 15,000 people. Like comedy is, is a much more intimate thing. But for the yeah. ideal, the, the biggest venue for me, largest size venue should be about 800, 900 seats, 1,000 seats maybe. Like, so somewhere like, the Olympia or Baker Street or something Baker, like that. Baker Street will come out for comedy. perfect for comedy because yeah. it kind of feels like it's just us. It's just us in the room. But this idea of a stadium, a, you know, essentially a stadium audience yeah. for a comedy act, a stadium audience, yeah, for Bruce Springsteen or for U2 or something, but not for a man with a microphone telling jokes. Peter Kay is a club comedian. You know, he is, he is a Phoenix Knights type club comedian. Oh, Phoenix Knights was amazing. He doesn't belong on that it's too big. It's just it's, too big for what he's doing. I it's thought real, that was a good show on the point, Paul. Which one? The Partridge one? No, the Peter Kay one I thought was excellent in the point. Yeah, I, I just, I kind of, I mean, I didn't I didn't see anything wrong with it. There was, I laughed at all the stuff, but there's a little element of doing your best, your greatest hits, the garlic bread and all that, you know, give us garlic bread, you know, and it's kind of, it's not part of a spontaneous comedy show. It's just like, 
say all your funny lines kind of thing. Yeah, it's oh, like a farewell tour nearly, isn't it? Yeah. I saw Jerry Seinfeld in in there as well. Exactly the same thing. Just Yeah. It's, it's big. Those, those big venues, they because it, like there's it's like there's a distance between the performer and the audience. And it's harder than to get because sometimes the best thing in a comedy show, like you're saying, when it's when it's intimate, yeah. laughter so infect it's such an infectious thing, like yeah, it's so yeah. contagious that you know, ten thousand people, th- there's a bit of a delay. There's like there's a gap or something, and it just doesn't it doesn't allow that organic kind of thing. As you said, it's just they yeah. have their set, they have their lines, and it's you know one after the other kind of thing. And going to the international comedy club in the attic there, that's that's excellent. Like yeah. it's only about fifty people in it. That that that's class. Yeah. yeah, and you can see this. You can see the if you can see the comedian's face, and you can see the expression on his face or her face. That's mm. a brilliant thing, you know, because you kind of feel like you're part, you're part of it, aren't you? But or, yeah, or if if your eye line catches their eye line, it's it's yeah, yeah. Uh, I seen Tommy Turner in Vicar Street, Jesus, over twenty years ago, and and he was absolutely amazing. Yeah, um, and we were right up the front, <clears> so like you had that intimate feel. You felt like he was talking to you almost. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's why those sort of things, like the the the, the small, well, they're, not, they're big festivals, but they're small venues and gig after gig after gig kind of thing. I think that's why they work so well because you get to see good acts put in that more intimate setting, and it, it's just much better. Some of the stuff at Docky Book, I know it's not a comedy festival, but some of the stuff at Docky Book Festival is hilarious, and I think it's because like that the venue was suited to that kind of small laughter is contagious type of atmosphere you know yeah you go to Kilkenny Cat Laughs against the same they're small little places and you're getting to see comedians that probably do the Vicar Streets and that but in a sort of 200 sort of seated environment it's just much better yeah. like mm-hmm. I saw Dave McSavage in um, I saw Dave McSavage in in um, Vicar Street about must be about five or six years ago and McSavage had been off the drink for a few years you know and uh Anyway, he arrived on the stage with a pint, right? <laughs> his opening line was, so I'm back on the drink. That was his <laughs> opening line, right? And Jesus, that was some show. Like it was, it was dark. And, you know, Mary said to me afterwards, Jesus, I'm glad I'm not going home, home with him tonight. <laughs> but within the darkness, there was, you could see the genius was just, it just, I don't know. I, I, you know, it's, there's a lot of, look, there's old thesis to be written about comedians and whether they're funny when they're troubled or whether they're, you know, you know, whether they're they're less funny when they actually have no woes in their lives, you know? Yeah, yeah. He was at a dark point in his life at that stage. But I'll tell you, I never... I think his whole life has been a dark point. <laughs> he's very, he's, I, I think he's a very, very funny man. But that night was, was just genius. And it was... So much of it was just bile, right? You know, when I tell you lads about my latest visit to the post office, uh, yeah. and I'm just angry about some exchange I've had. Never in a Voca post office, I should say. It's an excellent post office. Uh, and the staff. <laughs> um, but, <clears throat> but that was the thing with McSavage, right? It all came from a place of darkness, right? So he started slagging off Darrell O'Brien, um, Des Bishop, Tommy Tiernan, uh, Neil Delamere. But he started, he hates them all, you know, but he started doing impressions of them without actually using any words, right? So he's going, oh, yeah, what, what do you think of fucking, what do you think of fucking Darrow Bree, you know? And he just goes, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I didn't do it very well, but him, it was, it was <clears throat> no perfect. Like, it was just, 
it was absolutely brilliant. And because it was coming from a place of spite and anger, just the whole audience loved it. And he had, I think he was angry because remember he had the savage eye. Yeah. Mm. So it must have what been what a show. It must have been more what than a show. It must be 10 years ago. I saw this or eight years ago. But the Savage Eye from the second series, um, Bill Malone, who was the head of entertainment and RTE, he'd pulled a sketch out of the show and he'd pulled it for taste reasons, right? Now, how the, how he, I mean, I suppose he did get an awful, he got an awful lot worse than this past the censors. And if I was McSavage, <laughs> I'd have gone, I've got away with it. I mean, he had a priest with a kid under his arm. Yeah, yeah. In every show, in know. every show. And so he, so he got kind of got that past the censors. And I'd have just left this. I'd have said, listen, the show doesn't need it, right? But basically his sketch was, there used to be an ad on telly. You may remember it. You may be too young. But it was 11 o'clock Diet Coke break. And all these women go to the go to the window at our building yeah. to watch this construction window work. Window cleaner or something, was it? Yeah, it was a window cleaner or something. But he had his top off and he was drinking six pack and all the rest, you know, like myself and Gary from the gym. And, <laughs> um, but anyway, so he drinks the Diet Coke and that was the ad, right? But anyway, McSavage reimagined it as a load of nuns. And they run to the window and there's Jesus Christ with the thorns and everything. <laughs> He's drinking a Diet Coke, right? But it's McSavage, so it's a scrawny body and everything, you know. Anyway, <laughs> they pulled the sketch and McSavage knew Bill Malone was going to the show in Vicker Street that night. He pulled it. So he made a big issue of, yeah, I've, I've got Bill Malone here from Margie. He pulled the sketch. I'm going to show it up on the screen here. And he showed oh, up. Jesus. He said, what do you think? Do you think that's suitable for television? Everyone's going, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was so anarchic. It was one of those shows where you think he might just walk off now at, at any moment. It's like it's like going to see Van Morrison or Bob Dylan in a bad mood. It was just like, this could just end at any moment and we'll all be talking about it tomorrow. But if you think about the Savage Eye and the content that was in it, uh, you know, like there was the sketch where, um, the, 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 you know, the barman, what was his name? Can't think of his fucking name. He's based the on the he had the bull, wasn't he? Uh, the bull, mate. Yeah, the bull. He he had the the gay lads locked up in cages on a on a farm. Yeah, he's, and yeah, he's he firing good. seed at him. This is the Cavan Quare. Yeah, yeah. He dances yeah, for seeds and all. Like you wouldn't get away with that now. Like some it's people would, though, you know. Some people would like I watch. You know, Mary and I, we were actually watching Seinfeld, an old Seinfeld here, uh, before I came on to use. And there was two storylines in it. And we were just looking at each other going, Jesus, you wouldn't get away with that now. But Larry David would on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, you yeah, know? yeah. Like, he yeah. still gets away with stuff. It kind of, I think it depends who you are. And then, like, David Brent, Ricky Gervais would probably get away with it because... There's certain comedians who don't live in fear of being cancelled, who don't live in mm. fear of that, of, of, of the judgment of their peers or the wider public. They just kind of say, well, there's enough people out there who know what I'm trying to do. Uh, and I have enough money that I don't have to worry if 90 percent of the consumers hate me. Yeah, he'll, mm. they'll always have an audience anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Gary, but, yes. bad sisters. Oh, stop. Really good. Uh, so uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you should watch it because it's a character in it called uh, JP. The and uh, he is 
the most ignorant, rude, arrogant, vile, pompous prick you could ever come across. But he's unbelievably likable. Outside of a staff room. Yes. <laughs> yes. He is so likable. Uh, he, 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 that actor absolutely nails yeah. the role, what was required of him. Really good show. Enjoyed it. Um, great to see all, all the, the, the local bits, like the 40 foot and all that in it. Um, but JP is apt. He, he reminds me of, 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 I think everybody knows somebody like JP. JP reminds me of somebody. I can't yeah. actually say who he reminds me of. Um, I know, I know who you mean. Let me say that. <laughs> if, if anyone wants to message me privately, I'll tell them, and they'll agree. Yeah. He's really from good Ballybrack. Show. Should we say he's from Ballybrack, and we all know him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's we're not liable on anyone. Well, you wrote um, episode eight. What was that process like, and and how did you get it? Well, I, I I've known Sharon Horgan for a few years. I did. Um, I wrote a, uh, a comedy show um, called Pink Ink uh, about te- about nine years ago. Um, it was about four uh, chiclet writers living in Glenageary and they were all best mates, but they all hated each other. Right. So they were all nice to each other's faces. And then they were just constantly trying to cut each other's throats, you know, when their backs were turned. And um, I did. I, I wrote that and I, I sent it to Sharon and she 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 liked it, you know? And so she, so she said, I'm going to pitch this to the BBC <clears throat> and the BBC said they really liked it, but they were already doing a show with four women in it at that stage. Like that's what television is like. God forbid they do two of them. Ridiculous. Yeah. You know, we've, t- we've ticked the four women sh- box for the next three years. So Sharon rang me back. So I'm really disappointed with this, but she said, why don't we, why don't we, um, why don't we rewrite it as an American show and go to America and pitch it? So we did, and uh, I, I rewrote it, and um, and then we took it to we took it to Los Angeles, and we pitched it to fourteen studios altogether. We went like we went to Fox, and we went to ABC, and we went to Disney, and we went to all these studios. Wow. And we're sitting in these two, like we're sitting pit in pitching rooms with these executives. Now, an executive could be anything, right? An executive could be a 25-year-old guy in a hoodie, or it could be a 56-year-old man in a suit, right? And every company has different ideas of what an executive is. There was one, I think it was ABC. We went in and there's five executives and they're completely representative, right? Ethnically, uh, gender, every 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 way possible there it's a representative board but they were all really young and it was it was brilliant because you're kind of you're looking at them thinking hang on a second who watches television 25 year olds so why shouldn't 25 year olds be deciding what goes on television why are 50 where is 60 year old men telling 25 year olds what they want to watch you know so that was kind of nice but then there were rooms with 60 year olds in but the but the thing i discovered actually was the 25 the 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 25 year olds are very difficult to make them laugh right when you're in the room uh whereas the older ones are much easier to laugh uh so we pit we pitched it and the pitch would last an hour so i had to sort of stand up for an hour and just tell them the show tell them what it was about, go through them character by character, why each character is funny, go through episode by episode, then this happens, then this happens, and then what happens at the end and how we're going to launch into season two. 
And so each pitch was an hour. I tailored it for each one. So Sharon would say to me, ABC, they're a bit dry. So take out that word. Definitely don't say that word in front of them. And then another one, she might say, ramp up the comedy a bit more. And we got a sale. We sold we sold the sitcom to E. Um, e had all the Kardashian money at the time. And they were going into scripted comedy. They, did, they commissioned 10 different shows. And ours was one of the ones they commissioned. So we did it. We wrote it. And then they decided not to do scripted comedy after all. <laughs> the thing just died. But it was fine. We all got paid and <laughs> met Sharon out of it, you know, and then um, stayed in touch with her, did a li- couple of little bits and pieces, different ideas, did a little bit of writing for her. And then when she was doing this show, um, she said to me, um, I think I think it already been commissioned and they one episode that hadn't been written and they felt that they didn't have enough Irish writers on the show. There was only one other Irish writer, I think on the show, Alva Keoghan and Sharon, of course, but they felt they needed another Irish writer. There was a couple of English writers and a couple of American ones. And it's not too being a bit modest now, Paul, that they didn't have enough Irish writers. Like, Well, they were looking for an Irish writer and I think my name came into her head. I think that's essentially what it was. And um, she she just rang me up and said, would, would you be interested? And I said, Jesus, absolutely. And there was still kind of at the late writer's room phase at that stage. So mm. basically it was all done on Zoom at that stage. We're on season, we're just starting season two now, and that's going to be done in person. But this one was on Zoom because of COVID. And we're having these meetings and, you know, it's a, you know, as well as doing the episode, like there was kind of input onto all the others. Like I think the character, this character should be a bit more this way and that way. And I don't think that would happen like that. You know, you're kind of in, you're kind of inputting on plot and all that kind of stuff as well and storyline. And, and then, yeah, I went away and did episode eight and it was difficult. You know, it was, it, it's, it's a tricky thing to do because um, I'd only, I'd only, I'd read the script of episodes one to four. So you're trying to divine from the script what a character is like. You're trying to keep the characters consistent. But then I hadn't read five, six, and seven. Wow. Right. But I know, I know what has to happen in eight, but I don't know the ending of seven. So I'm kind of starting a little bit in midair, but it's, it's about writing and rewriting and all the rest. So I must have done maybe 30 drafts. So they come back and they go, you really like that one, but you know, whoever's writing episode seven, they couldn't fit this plot bit in there could could you take that into your episode and then you're seeing how do i fit that into that so it's all about rewriting you know i heard roddy doyle talking recently about script writing and he was asked you know what's the difference between writing prose and writing a script and he just said it's just really really easy to fill a page of script right because he just said uh you know two people walk into a room one says hello the other guy says hello how are you yeah not bad haven't seen ages yeah, yeah, I haven't been around. There's the page finished, right? And then he said, by the end of the process, you're looking at that page saying, how do I get these two guys into the room without saying hello to each other or asking each other how they are? It's all about cutting back and cutting back and cutting back and uh, pruning. So it's um, it's a totally different process to writing a book. Completely. And there, is there a second season of Bad Sisters, Paul? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Apple have confirmed it. Yeah, it's... it's um, it's uh, coming. I presume it'll. Be, I, I'm. I'm guessing it's going to be two years, but um, we're 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 starting <laughs> writing of it next year. It's a fantastic show. Um, and there's not there's not one character that that's wasted writing in it. If yeah. you get know what I mean by that, every character yeah. in their own right contributes and is brilliant. And yeah, it's, oh, it was just. I, I, I um. 
I got to watch it twice because I was watching it, but then we also watched it for Gogglebox. And, yeah. it, and, and watching it the second time, you pick up on things that you don't pick up the first time around. So it's yeah, yeah. right. Like, but um, that's absolutely brilliant. Just brilliant. The four lead women are absolutely amazing. Like, and I know where do they go now, though, Paul, in the second series? Because the whole premise of the series was to get rid of JP. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's five. It's five lead women, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Um. Yeah, I can't. I can't tell anything about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, well, I wasn't actually. I, I wasn't right. expecting an answer. I, mean, it was, I was just. But I do love. I, there. I do love. Right, that that absolutely everybody I know who watched it just couldn't stop talking about how repulsive JP was, and then <sighs> got a message from Gary saying, "Oh, I love JP." <laughs> <laughs> the, the actor who played him was absolutely amazing. Danish, isn't he? Yeah, he's Danish English. Like I think he yeah. kind of he spent a lot of time in Eng- in England. I-, I think for Irish audiences, I was explaining this to a couple of the other writers on it. Like you know that for Irish audiences, there's an extra there's an extra frisson of hatred for him because he has that little hint of an English accent, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, that you know that don't it's, it brings out that little fella in the balaclava out of you, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, when you hear that, you know, I hate English, man. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm more anti that kind of thing as anyone, right? But when I hear, when I hear a man saying, uh, calling an Irish woman mummy, well, oh, oh my god, that, yeah. I, I was just going to say that fella with the armalite and the flipping the, the balaclava comes charging out of my chest. <laughs> a friend of me and Gary's a star calling his wife mum because of this. Just, I mean, it's a dangerous game, isn't it, to play? Yeah, actually, it's you know a friend of ours, and he only watched it a couple of weeks ago, Mario, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He finished it a couple of weeks ago, and I said to myself, "I, I can't wait to hear his take on on John Paul." And uh, it was exactly how I, how I thought it would go. He fucking adores him. <laughs> um, Jesus, t- t- thinks there's nothing like him. <laughs> so he's calling his missus, uh, uh, Mammy, now <laughs> around the house, and she fucking hates it, which is great. She's German. Yeah, she's German. Yeah, yeah. Do you like Do you like writing TV, Paul? I do. Yeah, yeah. It's it, listen. It's a totally, it's a totally different, uh, it's a totally different kind of high. Sitting watching a watching a program on television and hearing famous actors saying lines you wrote, like it's just it's weird and brilliant as well, you know. But so I'm still kind of a bit obsessed with the magic of it. Whereas I'm in rooms with experienced writers. I can't tell them that, you know, I can't tell them. I was sitting at home shouting at the telly. I wrote that line to bring these. But I love it. Like it's, it's great. And, but mostly I love, I love that kind of collaborative thing, working with, working with a team. Cause I don't do it very often. I did it with the plays, the musicals, but um, mostly I'm, I'm sitting in my little rock office in the Voca, uh, you know, churning out words. So to, to to go into a room with just really, really talented people as well, like, you know, you're just in writer's room, write, meetings with other writers, the writer's room, and you just hear suggestions and they just blow your mind a little bit. Like, you know, you just have to be, you just have to be really, really on your game and concentrating because everybody in that room is just really, really smart and just have great ideas, you know. So you. Oh, kinda... How did you go from like an award-winning sports journalist to being able to write TV? Did you have to go? Did you? Did someone just say, "Oh, here, Paul, this is how you write TV"? Did you have to? How did? Did you just teach yourself? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I like everything in my life 
everything in my life, I, I, I've kind of just bungled into it, you know? Like I, I plan, like when I left school, uh, I, I wanted to be a sports journalist, right? But the only thing I actually got out of school that was going to make me a sports journalist was, uh, you know, I, I, I knew how to type because of Brother Joe, uh, Brother Jim, and Jerry Murta had given me a, 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 a decent English education, you know. That's what that's what I took out of school that was going to help me, you know. But I went home and I learned shorthand sitting at the at the dinner table every evening. Like I had a book and I taught myself shorthand and, you know, and I learned the rules to loads of sports I'd absolutely no interest in just so I could kind of earn money as a freelance sports writer. So I kind of always, that was always me, you know, but I was, a, I was a sports writer for years and years and years. And then in 2005, I took a sabbatical to write the books. But the first time I ever wrote a, a Ross book, I had no idea how to write a book, but I just, I did it. And then you you just, you have more experienced people than you just come and tell you, no, you got that wrong. You do it this way. And you just learn, you say, I'll do it that way next time. And everything that's happened in my life for about the last 17 years has just been a complete accident. I've just stumbled into it. <laughs> I never, I never had any, I never had any desire to write for the theater. I'd no, never any desire to write a musical. I never any desire to write children's books. Never any desire to write a novel. Uh, I just wanted to be a sports reporter. So television is just the latest thing I tripped up and fell into, you know? Like, and I, I'm sounding blase about it, but it is. It, it is kind of, it, like, I, I know how to write. Like, I know how to write dialogue between two people. And books, books is mostly, the books I write are mostly dialogue between characters and television is all dialogue between characters. Movies are all dialogue between characters. So um, it's just different, different kinds of dialogue between characters, different styles. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's life in general though, isn't it? We're like we all wing it and we're all winging it, but we all just wing it in a different way. And, yeah. and you do what you do to get by, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when your boss says to you, uh, do you think you can do that? And you go, you're nodding. Yep. Absolutely. And inside you're going, oh, fuck. Why? Yeah. <laughs> every day, you man, away, every fucking day. Every day. You go away and you say, how am I going to do this? And you might get it 60% right. And then somebody else says, oh, you've got that wrong. And they fit, they help you. And then you, you get it 75% right. But then within a year, you're getting it 95% right. That's kind of, I suppose that's the best way to describe it, really. True. Very true. true. Paul, are we allowed to talk about the, uh, the potential play that you're doing next summer? Um, what was that? The one you told me to swore to secrecy about two or three months ago. Uh, hang on, Which the, mu- the musical. Is this Dermot Bannon, the musical? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can talk about. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to happen next summer though. Okay. Yeah, but <clears throat> Dermot Bannon, the musical. <laughs> I don't think that's a secret. I think we might have spoken about this before, did we, Gary? Yeah, we we had some. Dialogue about it already, yeah. Because I remember Gary Gary saying that he would not be a ticket buyer because he's not <laughs> a fan of Mr. Dermot Bannon. Gary, would you like to tell us again, for those who didn't hear it the first time, why you're not a fan of Mr. Well, Dermot we, we had a little sneak preview of what Paul thinks of Dermot Bannon because we had Let There Be Light. On, That's right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, look, I... I, I, I Danny was worried the last time I went in on Dermot that there could be a bit of libel involved, so I won't go to town again. I, I did get a letter on WTS-headed paper. Um, <laughs> Which we had to create especially for the occasion, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 
I just I know some people who who Dermot don't work for, and um, it didn't end well, and there was some legal shit and all after it, you know, um, which can happen though. It can happen that it can happen with a small builder, an architect, a developer, whatever, whatever you want to call them. But you're doubling down now, is it? No, I just I just think he's full of shit. Full of shit. That's fair. That's not loyal. So I'm all right with that, Gary. <laughs> I, I dealt I had some dealings with him back in the Celtic Tiger in in in, uh, in MRCB and uh, he, he was just full of shit. Yeah, full of shit. And uh, I seen a lot even with uh, interior designers and stuff. People would parade into the shop. This is the height of the Celtic Tiger. Like we used to sell rolls of wallpaper for fucking nine hundred euro, and half it you'd be fucking away because of the pattern. Like yeah, and. Uh, they they parade into the shop with their big A one fucking plastic holders. Uh, I I'm a designer. Are, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's popular at the moment? They say to us, we say you're you're the fucking designer, and you're asking us what's popular. But there was all these cunts, the architects and and designers, and um, and they're just winging it like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, winging it completely. Yeah. Winging. It. We would have created more... a couple. Of, you created a couple of paints that still exist, didn't you? Yeah, I done a color card for Color Trend in in two thousand and four. It was it was there were sixteen colors on the palette, and they still use twelve of them in their books. And wow. What's the flavor? Pardon? What's the flavor? Well, I, I I done one called Almost White. It was it was it was brilliant white with the tiniest hint of ivory, and it would it would have been used on coving, skirt and star frames, stuff like that. All the posh L ones loved it. <laughs> Um, what was it called? Almost white. Almost white. Yeah. I love all the posh albums. <laughs> yeah, that they loved. They loved all the bullshit. Yeah. Um, but there was one called. So any color you regret? <laughs> no, funny enough. No. Um, there was a gorgeous color. It was ahead of its time. It was called railings, and it was a gunmetal gray. Um. <laughs> And every second door, every second door in, in Rackgar was was railings <laughs> in two thousand and five. Trust me, it was a paint ahead of its time because nobody was using gunmetal greys and charcoal greys in two thousand and four <laughs> until until we started selling. It. It's true. Oh, so, that is. I've never heard. A paint described as that in my life, but it's 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 fair. You're right, Gary. I, I don't think I'd heard of gunmetal until the the twenty teens, so to speak. But the, almost the, white. The, the the Celtic Tiger was a mad time because I I remember there was this guy on the go on the Dublin circuit. He was kind of a half celebrity, half half fucking everything. Simon Stokes was his name, real posh fella, and him and his brother opened this gentleman's club. Um, on Stevens Green, it was just up from the Shelbourne. Yeah, and he was one of these lads. He knew everybody in town. He'd apartments here, restaurants there. You know, probably financed by daddy, but but nobody knew that. And he came into the shop one day, and he was opening this gentleman's club on Stevens Green. Um, but he didn't want to pay some poxy fucking designer to tell him what to do. He'd rather people on the ground tell him. So we were the people on the ground. But we we didn't really have time for pretentious pricks who probably weren't going to pay in the end, you know, and you put all this time into them. But 
he said to me what the theme of the place was. So there was going to be a library in the place, a snooker room, a bar, cocktail area, sushi area. Um, and I said, paint everything in dark grey. Fucking everything. Really? Why? And I said, well, you're going to be adding colour with carpet and fucking, you know, whatever else. He said, that's fucking great. And he painted everything in dark grey. And the place closed about three months later. <laughs> was was there a crushed bulb colour? Crushed bulb was a, a teal colour, yeah. Why is it called crushed bulb? Just to create drama on, on, on the palette. <laughs> Gary, the club you're talking about is residence, right? And, yes. Uh, I was... Um, I, I was I was one of those uh, people who was actively encouraged around 2005 to become a member of residence. Okay. And I remember going in and having a look around, you know, it was like, right, why did you pop in and have a look at the facilities? You know, so I popped in and you know what I thought when I was in there? It's too fucking dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason I didn't join. It was too dark. It was just it, it didn't bring me joy. I just went in and this place it depressed me. It's too dark. I'm right, though, Paul. You do remember the place, and I do remember it. Yeah, yeah. Their, their their mother was Pia Bang. Do you remember Pia Bang? She used to own Pia Bang Home on Grafton Street, and Pia Bang does uh, fashion. She was a fashion uh, kind of club, women's club, but they used to dress posh women from from Donnybrook and Ranella. Yeah, yeah. Now I have to say, he he was a nice fella to talk to and have a conversation with. Well, you could just tell he hadn't had an agenda at the back of everything. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Gary, you I say you saw some characters, did you? Yeah, geez, there used to be this uh, sign writer called uh, John O'Halloran. He was about six foot seven, a big, huge man. He was a raw and alcoholic, um, but he was the most famous sign writer. I'm beeping this now. Is he still alive? No, he's dead. Oh, grand, uh, right. Uh, he's dead. He, raw and alcoholic, but John couldn't... smile there when he found out he was dead. So yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was re- he was really famous in the city centre. He would have done, uh, like, Danny and Nesbitt's and, and loads of stuff like that. Re- really good, really talented. Um, he, But he'd have to have the guts of a bottle of whiskey before he worked because <laughs> it, his hand would be rattling. But we used, we used to have these... They were an oxtail brush. So it was the hair of, of from an ox. And... They were really small, but they would give a precision finish to letters and stuff like that. And we had them in this, you know, they used to have a little savings box when you were a kid and it'd have a lock on it. We had to keep them in that because they were like, they were 200 quid for this little small brush. Um, But John would come in and any time John come in, he would, he, he was a kleptomaniac. He had to rob something. <laughs> Always on the fucking rob. Um, <laughs> This man definitely dead, Gary. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. You know it's a good story when people keep saying, "Is he definitely dead?" Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he come in one day and he always wore like a, a suit, tweed suit jacket with a shirt, and the shirt that had fucking stew and coddle and shit <laughs> all over it. But John's trick was he try and get the oxtail brush up his sleeve, <laughs> and we always used to be told, "Do not take your eyes." off the fucking the brushes because he will get them so i must have i think i was hung over one morning and he managed to get one up the sleeve i said john will you don't start now <laughs> and he, he was he was like the bfg he was fucking huge pardon i said the brush got up your sleeve 
up my sleeve. I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, take it out, John, because I'm only going to get a bollocking if you whip that brush. Like, we know how many we have now. He's proved that I took it. And as he said that, he belched, right? And it was like this <laughs> Chernobyl mist. My head went back. And he just walked out of the shop. <laughs> but, but people from Mead Street used to come into us because it was on Thomas Street. And they used to call Dulux Durex. <laughs> have you got that uh, Durex Orchid Y? <laughs> they all used to call it Durex. But it was, it was, I tell you, the Celtic Tiger was a fucking great time. You see what we've had since? What are we, yeah. 15 years into fucking uh, Tory leadership? People being fucking kicked from pillar to post, robbed left, right, and center. Bring back Bertie and the lads. I'm telling you, a great time fun. in our lives. I, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with Gary on this. Like I, I did a kind of reevaluation of, of my life during COVID, as we all <laughs> did. You know, when I was fucking, you know, sitting every day in what could loosely be described as leisure wear, watching the, <laughs> watching the telly with spit running down my face for a year and a half. Right. You know, <laughs> Did a reappraisal of my life, and I I realized that the happiest the happiest time in my life right was when when it was when I was a kid right when I was a kid in Ballybrack right that's the happiest time in my life. But the next happiest time in my life was the Celtic Tiger. It was, and and we've all been we've all been conditioned to tell ourselves that the Celtic Tiger was a terrible thing because how how it ended right mm-hmm. because of. Uh, you know the recession and because of like austerity no austerity wasn't our fault the politicians and the bankers they decided we were getting austerity right they didn't need to give us that but they did right but the celtic tiger itself having grown up in a country where we we thought we were going to have to emigrate or we were going to be on the dole for the rest of our lives like there was no hope when i was in lawrence's in the 80s right nobody thought they were leaving school for a dream job nobody thought they was going to own property in another european country like you know but nobody thought we anything like you couldn't borrow money you couldn't do anything in ireland but to go from that to suddenly getting within 10 years getting a letter from the bank saying you've been approved for a loan for 10 grand <laughs> and you couldn't even fucking remember asking for the 10 grand but you, <laughs> if you want it it's there and i rang the bank and said so i didn't apply for this loan your mom went <laughs> no no you don't apply for it you're just pre-approved if you want it you can have it you're gonna give me 10 grand yeah what for whatever you want fucking brilliant Really? <laughs> just the confidence of that, the confidence that gave us as a generation with no confidence at all, who looked shit, who fucking thought Ireland was shit, like you know, who just had just thought nothing of the place, and suddenly you've just, somebody wants to give you ten grand, someone you've never met before mm. believes in you enough to give you ten grand, you know. Now we couldn't pay them back, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember, I remember, I think it was two thousand one, two thousand two. Um, which we were in, we were in the boom, but a lot of people wouldn't have realised they're in a boom. But things were good, and I, I remember um, my dad showing me HSBC sent them a HSBC card with this number across it, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eamon, you have been approved for forty thousand. Um, dial this number, you know, to avail. Have have that dream holiday. <laughs> Mad carry on. Yeah. But when you look at how we're we're, we're living now. Yeah. To how we lived and like Daniel Mary, you are a little bit younger. You missed it. Mm. Yeah. It was fuck. It was a great time. You I remember working. 
I don't doubt I remember it. working in France for finance doing the uh, new motor business and I'd be doing I'd this be is putting, another Roddy Collins story Merrick oh, no, no. <laughs> I, was, I was doing new, new business so I was putting the applications in for the loans and you'd be having lads that are like for three, three to five years in, into their into their electrician or whatever trade they were doing, and they'd be requesting a loan for a Volkswagen Golf or Polo for five grand. I go over to the underwriter, the underwriter come back to me within five minutes, tell him we'll give him fifteen. I said, but he's only looking for five. Yeah, but just tell him if he wants if he wants a a newer car, we'll give him fifteen. So you were doing that to nearly every second client, like. And the lads, the young lads were loving life. And then I remember just as the fall in 2000 and, 2007, 2008, when it started falling on its arse, when uh, when the same lads that were approved for those type of loans were then falling back on their payments. And we yeah. were sending uh, people out to repossess their cars. And I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, this lad only asked for a five grand loan. Now, was cars being taken off him because he got a 15 grand loan? It's brilliant. It was brilliant. It was mad. A friend of mine went into his toilet one day and there was the plumber was snorting cocaine off the top of his sister. <laughs> plumber. The fucking plumber he hired, right? <laughs> to, to, to fix his leaky kitchen, his leaky, leaky bathroom sink was snorting cocaine off his cistern at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> what, what did he say? He just said, oh, sorry. And we'll walk back out and we're, we were still Irish. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 Stop being Irish, embarrassed Irish people, like you know, just because people were snorting coke in your toilet. But I remember the Wicked Wolf in Blackrock, and I think I might have said it to one or two of you lads before, like you know, the Wicked Wolf in Blackrock was the height of the Celtic Tiger for me. Going down there on a Monday night, and it was like Coyote Ugly. The place was hopping, <laughs> absolutely hopping, and there'd be four women on the bar, standing on the bar in like cowboy boots, knee-high cowboy boots, cut-off shorts, like boob tubes, Stetsons, and they'd each have two bottles of Grey Goose vodka, right, in one in either hand, and the la- men would just be leaning back onto the bar with their mouth <laughs> open. Right. And these wouldn't be walking the length of bar, just pouring vodka into people's mouths. Right. On a Monday night. On a Monday night. Monday night. Don't let anybody tell you anymore. It was a shameful time in our lives. It was the fucking, it was the decadence. It was the last days of the Roman Empire. It was fucking magic. Gary, I just want to just go back to your story there a minute ago. And I just, you, of all the things you said about that man, you, you, you called him an alcoholic. You called him a thief. You, you made some, absolutely outrageous things about him but the most damaging thing that you said about him was that he ate coddle and I just I want that on the record <laughs> um, lads we're at this nearly two hours so uh, and, and it's and it's, uh, it's meant to be a Christmas special and we haven't mentioned Christmas once which is fucking brilliant to be honest with you <laughs> yeah. um, just, just, we'll head off into the sunset but just what's the plans for 2023 Gary we'll go to you first 2023. Um, do you know something? I, I'm, I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to keep okay. doing what I do. I'm just going to wing it. It's very, very on theme with what we've just been talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, 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 what am I going to do? Do you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm never going to be in movies. Um, so you're fucking never say never, Gary. Well, how we might well, get into how we, we need a we need a new villain for bad sisters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you replace JP? Well, um, how do you replace JP? <laughs> oh, yeah. What are you doing oh. for your fortieth, Gary? 
you know, I didn't want to do anything, but Gemma was insisting that we did. So, um, we're just if you, if, if, I I put it out into the universe. Gonna go down to Darky on Saturday for a few drinks, um, and see what happens. I'm 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 pretty sure we probably won't last two and a half hours in Darky with some of the characters that'll be there. But um, we we we'll wing it. We'll enjoy. We'll, it. We'll, we'll be fucked out of Finnegan's, then we go into the the Coolymore. And we'll probably end up in McKenna's area. So. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Paul, tw- 2023, are you... Obviously, some stuff you may not be allowed to tell us, but have you got anything that you can... Uh, well, <clears throat> I'm not working on a big Roddy Collins kind style book. I have a Ross book to have finished by the end of January, so I'm working on that. Um, yeah, but beyond that, I don't know. There's a few, I'm, I've got a few television projects i'm working on I'm still working on the ballybrack thing which i'm i'm hoping um i'm not, I've, i finished episode two so i'm hoping to finish the rest oh, of the series next year you know lovely, lovely. Uh, and then there's a I'm, I'm hopefully working on bad sisters and then there's a there's another show i'm working on as well so i, I think there'll be a lot of tv i'm gonna try and take a bit more time off next year i i took um I took three months off this summer and I just needed it. I was wrecked. It was absolutely knackered. And I hadn't taken, I hadn't taken three months off since I was at school. Like that's the yeah. last time I had any kind of time off, like le- any significant length of time. <sighs> you try and do it again this year. I I, I have this, um, I have this 50th birthday present to myself. I'm 52 in January, but I still haven't used <laughs> my 50th birthday present, but I'm going to the Falkland Islands. Uh, oh, brilliant. On, my, on my own, like, you know, because uh, I'm I'm just obsessed with the Falklands War, which happened when I was 11. And yeah. I was just mad about it at the time. Used to buy, my dad used to buy the Daily Mirror and I'd be reading all about the battles and the planes and everything, you know. Was the mirror that got you? Was that the mirror? Was that when, gotcha they, was the, when they blew up the Belgrano? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a, a kind of nerd about the Falklands War. Like I've read loads of books about it and everything. And I've read Br- British soldier accounts. I've read Argentine soldier accounts. I'm, I'm mad about it, but I got this, um, I got this book of maps. It's the a map, the battle maps for the Falklands, right? And they fold out, right? So it's the bat, the battle from Mount Longdon. It's all the positions on the mountain and all that kind of thing, right? And I said to Mary, "We we'll go to the Falklands. Like we get a couple of pairs of wellies and we'll fucking we trod those hills, and like we we'll you know see where how like you know fifty paras managed to take Mount Longdon from like." 500 Argentine soldiers who are dug in like you know amazing story and Mary's just looking at me blankly and I'm just realising ah oh, Jesus I think I'm going on this one on my own <laughs> Mary not only said I could go she's kind of insisting that I go you know <laughs> how long will that trip be Paul? well I think it's a week I mean there's not a huge amount to do there I'd just be there I mean it's like going to Ackle it's like Ackle Island or something it's it's really remote there's nothing there how it's do you like, get there? You, you, the, the 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 easiest way really is to fly uh, to Santiago, and you go direct from Santiago. There's no flights direct from Argentina; it's cut off from Argentina. But there's only one flight in a week and one flight out uh, on a on a Saturday. This plane arrives from Santiago, lets a load of people off, loads of people get on, and it goes back to Santiago. So that's the only way on and off the island. Uh, you can get a, you can sail there, but I think it takes like sixteen hours from the the south of Argentina to get there. Oh, uh, so it's quite, it's quite far out. Uh, and you're insisting I, on this, are you? 
Uh, I, ju- I would just love to go. It's my it's mid- my midlife crisis. It's just it's a lot, <laughs> listen, lads. It's a lot cleaner and a lot healthier than you know me. You know, starting to take cocaine or growing a ponytail or driving around a Ferrari or you know fancy and young ones like you know it's it's, it's I, like don't reel the ponytail out. Get, let it grow out. <laughs> let it grow out. Uh, but yeah, that'll be me. Like, you know, I'll be there with me binoculars and me. I'll have a big bag of books. I'd probably be arrested as a spy when I arrive at all the maps. <laughs> of the, they'd probably think this fella's planning another fucking invasion. Oh, <laughs> come here. I, I, um, I only realised last night, uh, Off the Ball is 20 years old this year. And Jeez. it'll be 10 years since the second captain's left resigned. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Is it 10, 10 years next year, 2003? It'll be, it'll be 10 years in March since the lads resigned from off the ball. My God. Remember the day they resigned? Like? I do. I do. Yeah. Only only Jer was left. Yeah. Jer was yeah. left holding the fort himself. I mean, those lads, the two second, I'm I'm fans of, I don't think you have to be Blur or Oasis or, you know, Beatles both. or the Stones. I think you can love them both. And I, I, just what those lads have done in terms of changing the way we talk about sport in Ireland. It used to be really boring. Listening to people, listening to, to two people on the radio in Ireland talking about sport was like listening to somebody read the stock prices. It was just fucking <laughs> boring, just really, really boring. Like, you know, and them lads came in the, the likes of Jer and O McDevitt and Ken Early. And like, you just sit, sit and listen to them. Every, constant like for hours and hours my auntie angela she's dead now she lived in black rock she was she was about 77 she she had absolutely no interest in sport no knowledge of sport at all she was obsessed with ken early to listen to ken early she said just love him i absolutely love him <laughs> like because then he'd always go into some like he'd be chatting about football and then he'd go off on some tangent about Russian literature or something like you yeah. know yeah. just love that about him like he was a, he's a star like Ken is a Ken is a superstar absolutely yeah. is absolutely he blocked me on he blocked me on Twitter Meryl <laughs> remember you and Danny were in Vegas yeah and I kept asking why he was going around in sandals <laughs> and he blocked me <laughs> Danny Danny has um or sorry, Gary has been blocked by some of the big names on Twitter, mm. right? Big names, big uh, names. Yeah, yeah. He, he, so delighted to get Neil Rich. Delighted to get Neil Richmond over the line. He's blocked 6,000 6, people, according yeah. to himself, you know. Jason McAteer blocked me there a few weeks ago. Ah, uh, you had a row. What did you do on Trigger? Um, he gave, he uh, came la- out and la- gave out about care, Brian Kerr. Right. No, no, Lad Bible put up something. Uh, what Englishman isn't in, in the squad that you'd love to see in the squad for the World Cup? And I and I uh, quote tweeted it and said Jason McAteer, but I didn't actually tag him. So somebody must have sent it to him, and oh, he wrote back. It's probably he wrote back, his own name. He wrote back Irish actually, and I went to write something back, but then I was black. You're. I think. I think you're. You're maligned and misunderstood, Gary. I think. Yeah. Varadkar won't block me, the fucking coward, but I'll get him eventually. Paul, sorry, I just wanted to ask, what, why do you think Jerry didn't leave, leave with the lads? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of. I don't know the ins and outs of what went went on, you know. But yeah, um, they just wanted that extra hour, didn't they? Off your buddy George Hook. No, no, yeah, I, I think, I think that's, I think that's what it was. I can't really remember now, but I think that's what it was about. I think they they wanted half an hour, half an hour of George. Yeah, the Hooks yeah. Shaw went from four to seven, and they wanted from half six to ten or something like that. Mero, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, Mero. 
your questions are being fucking shit tonight. I don't know what you're at. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. You're being barbed about everything. You're looking for gossip. Feels like a plant, doesn't he? Feels to me yeah. like a plant for Shamrock Rovers and for the and for the second captain's lads. It's yeah, like you page to come here and ask these questions. You haven't man. even asked the question, Murray. Your attitude's changed since you lost me and way. Listen here, right? I've asked plenty of questions tonight and I've been directing conversation. And you're coming in here with your attitude, with your barbed comments. We'll be having more. Ill prepared, we'll Danny, as well. Better. I didn't think he was ill prepared. Uh, uh, I felt. Paul, I, his, his annual role of you, every time I tell him that. Every time. <laughs> you've been watching the World Cup before we go. Have you been watching the World Cup? I watched yeah, a lot lovely. more of it than I thought I would. At the start lovely. of it, I was trying to take the moral high ground. But to be honest with you, football at 10 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't turn down. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you so haven't watched any of it, Paul, have you? No, um, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, right. Fair play. Yeah, right, <laughs> No, listen, I tell you the truth, right? I, 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 I can be a bit of a grandiose fucker, right? So I did say at the start of the tournament, I'm not going to watch a fucking match, right? And then I was kind of thinking, shit, why did I do that? But once you've done it, you've done it, you've said it, right? <laughs> so now you have to suffer, right? Like, it's like when you say... Say to your ma, no, I don't want any dinner. And then you find out it's a fry up or something. And then you're sitting there watching everybody eat the fry. You just have to sit, you know, you just have to say there'll be other fries. Uh, but I didn't watch, I didn't watch any matches. And it was kind of a little bit easy for me. So it was a little bit of a cheat because most of the matches were on during the working day. And I was either in the recording studio doing doing the audio books, recording audio books, or I was working like with deadline so it was easy to say well i can't switch on the telly because i have to get this piece finished for the book and you know so i was kind of finishing at six o'clock every day i could have watched the evening match but a lot of the evening matches were were a bit didn't really grab me you know yeah so i didn't watch you honestly hand on my heart right uh sorry hand on my heart i didn't i did not sit down and watch a match but I now, but I did. I did follow the scores, and I did stick on the news to find it, to see the goals and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, I did say he was doing bets on the XG market. Now. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was texting me looking for prizes. Now don't fucking mind him. That that XG has now worked its way into the FIFA football game. Uh, Go away. It's really on the on the PlayStation, like yeah. Yeah, it shows if you if you take a shot or you score or whatever, and the replay comes up, it does a freeze frame just as the player is striking the ball, and it gives you the XG for normally shooting from this range. And I, I fuck off, I'm I'm not I'm yeah. not interested. And you, and it, Can you tell me all these new stats, right? Assists and XGs and all that kind of what the new ones receptions, yes. receptions, right? These are presumably these are all designed to give people new things to bet on are they yeah i was just about yeah. to say it's all to stimulate the gambling market yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely 100 percent. jesus yeah i don't know yeah uh, jesus i find it really dull though like you know i find it, it it you know when some when some nerd comes on and starts talking about somebody's receptions like, yeah like, and like yeah football, you know and like you, you know People looking for a, a price and and Bappe to have two or more attempts on target in the first half. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you do you ever tell? Do you ever are you ever tempted, Gary? Do you just say fuck off? No, I'm not. I'm not taking that bet. Well, anyone who's ever interacted with me or uh, would know that. Like, I mean, I, I put time limits on people in shops and everything. <laughs> you know. What do you mean? 
But uh, I was working in, in Argo here today, actually, and um, there's a young a fellow I know from Wicklow Town. I won't name him because we could be liable, but I like him. Like he's a lovely fella. But the minute I see him, oh, here we fucking go, because he he gives you a full report and everything he's doing. And he has our roulette system cracked, but he never wins any money on it. So the first thing out of him today was, number four is going to come out in the next draw. And I guarantee a 33 comes out after that, which of course doesn't happen. And I said, I don't give a f- oh, shit, I just named him. <laughs> <laughs> you can bleep that out, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> nobody in here gives a fuck what you're gambling on I particularly don't give a fuck what you're gambling on and I said anyway with Covid you have to limit your time to shop to 40 minutes so enjoy yourself for 40 minutes and then you're gone yeah well can I come back uh, how long do I have to take before I can come back I said three hours <laughs> <laughs> how many be in there for 40 minutes there's shops that open the door at 10 there's lads there for 10 11 hours Stop. Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, it's a fucking cesspit. Absolutely. Right, <laughs> lads. <laughs> Danny's, Danny wants to ruin our night by saying it's over. Well, we're just going to press stop and you can continue chatting after. So long as your attitude <laughs> and your questions improve. That's, <laughs> that's the main thing. Uh, lads, the, the, the Christmas special is something I look forward to every year. Uh, and I know there was some touchiness within the group in recent months because... You know, there was allegations that he was being asked on. Some people were appearing on other podcasts and telling us how great they were. Two Johnnies. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, and, uh, you know... I was on Crime World with Nicholas Hallington. <laughs> 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 I just, I, from my side, I just want to say, there's no hard feelings. That's all. That's, that's all I'm saying. We, we, Gary and I aren't, uh, aren't wants to bear a grudge either, but we are kind of developing our own podcast ideas anyway, independent of you guys. So Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I look forward yeah. to it. And I wish you well. Available wherever you get your podcasts, lads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a cookery one. There's a fashion one. What else is there, Gary? The fitness. The fit. Oh, the fitness one, you fitness, know. Yeah. Right, so uh, there's a big development of the Avoca River going on at the minute, so we're going to be doing a bit of, bit of coverage on that. Oh, local to be local, be covering yeah. local, local issues. That new cycle lane that's going up there opposite yeah. um, where Sean Bean Motors used to be. Yeah, uh, and we were involved in a, there was a, just before uh, COVID, we were involved in a theatre that was going to be built in the old Ormond Cinema. That's right, I remember you talking about that previously, yeah. Yeah, but, but due to the war in Ukraine, uh, the, the Russian gentleman who we were dealing with, it's, we haven't heard from him since, but... yeah. He hasn't seen his WhatsApp in three years, but let's see what happens. <laughs> will you be will you be going into the true crime world as well, lads? Uh it depends what happens with Dowdle and Jer. Fair. Fair. Fascinating that trial, isn't it? Oh, it's, oh, it's fascinating. Fucking brilliant. Listen to it every brilliant. night. It's just bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah. Save, I mean, save, save that for was, after that. I just think that I was listening to Dowdle on the or reading the Dowdle's quotes today on the stand. I was just thinking this needs to be televised. This yeah. needs to be televised. Oh, Humphrey's come in, lads. Hello, good man, Humphrey. You can't lift them up, can you? Uh, no, hang on. I lift. I lift you down. Hang on. <laughs> Hello. Hang Doesn't on. matter how many weights he's lifting, lads. That's ah, look at him. Ah, ah Humphrey, good man. Hi, Humphrey. Did he does just he still get his football foot, foot at night time, Paul? Uh, he does, yeah, yeah, because he gets um he's terrible welts on the inside of his um the inside of his paw. As as basset hounds get older, 
their paws turn outwards to kind of carry the extra weight. So they get kind of um, corns on their uh, on their pads. So oh, it's um, the we give them a foot bath with this special solution that just sort of softens them every night, you know. So yeah. it's uh, it helps ease the suffering from you know. He just came into you for a pet there, did he, Paul? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he came in for a pet, and uh, he's gonna. I ah, start pestering me for a bit of food now, you know. I feed him anytime he gets, anytime he moans, I feed him, and I've ruined him, like you know. But <laughs> I can't resist him. The worst dog owner in the world. Um, right, this this the fourth time I'm gonna try end the podcast, lads. So just walk with me, will you? Uh, he wants to go. Come on, Mero. Me and you are going to have strong words now in a minute. I'm telling you, we'll be up to Glenavon Park in the morning. He is growing. Did you see his Ewan McKenna yeah. impression, impersonation the other night on Twitter? This is coming off. Actually, you, listen here. You look. We're going to have a fall now. I mean it. Um, right, lads. Look, Merry Christmas. Thanks very much for everything. Thanks, people, for yeah, listening all year long. And um, look, if anybody would like to tweet the show to tell us what a bollocks Graham Merrigan is, it's at WTS Pod. And uh, I look forward to reading those tweets over Christmas. Thanks, lads. Thanks for having thanks yeah. for having us on. It's always a pleasure, you know. Brilliant to see you. Danny, you're looking absolutely fantastic, by the way. You thank you. Appreciate brilliant. that. Thank you. And, He's gained uh, an attitude since he lost all that weight. <laughs> <laughs> Great to see you, Mero, and Gary as well. Like it's just been brilliant. I love the last couple of hours. It's uh, hopefully so, we'll Sunday like get to a Volta, Paul. Yeah, next time, next time, let's do it in a Volta, okay? I'll cook and everything, right? Well, I won't get me hopes up, but we'll see. We'll be getting turkey curry from the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, where can you? Where can everyone listen to us? Um, let me think. Chadwick's in the noggin. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you can't. Good internet reception in there, so you can. He's not wrong. Uh, you can listen to us on uh, Podbean. Uh, Apple Podcasts, um, YouTube, Spotify. We're on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah. What do you need um, to search, Gary? Pardon? What do you need to search to get us? WTS Pod. Very good. Uh, we're also available on. Um, if you have a smartwatch, yeah. you can listen to it on there. Yeah, yeah. This is like watching a, a primary school teacher prompt. The young lad who hasn't got a fucking clue what he's talking about. It's great. Yeah, I, 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 I used to love. Do you remember in that section in, in uh, tonight with Vincent Brown where the screen went re- went red? Yeah. And you could te- you could text uh, hash vin b or you could tweet hash vin b right. Yeah. Well, he w- he never called it a hashtag. It was you could uh, text the word hash vin b. <laughs> <laughs> like it was ordering a twenties box. <laughs> <laughs> right, look, we'll leave it there, lads. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Thanks, uh, everyone. Good night, God bless. <laughs> right, lads. <laughs>